When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, today we're debating atheism versus Islam, which is best for humankind, and we are starting right now with Nadir's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Nadir. The floor is all yours. Thank you. Um, so it's good meeting you, Randolph, and I'll be telling you today why I believe Islam is the best for mankind. There's going to be five main reasons. In fact, let me share my desktop here real quick. Um, the first one, <clears throat> just getting right into it, is because... Islam has done a tremendous amount for, for mankind. And the one thing I'd like to, the first thing I'd like to start talking about is how Islam started a scientific revolution. So basically, the Muhammad laid the foundations for what is known as a scientific revolution and, and, and established what is known as the Islamic golden age. And so according to the historians, and, and again, you know, I'll, I'll go very quickly through my slide. I'll ask you guys just to hit pause on your YouTube video, just so you can have all my references. So what is this golden age of Islam, which was spawned by Islam? A golden, which spawned, spawned by the Quran and Prophet Muhammad. This was uh, a flowering of knowledge and intellect that spread throughout Europe and greatly influenced both medical and practical education. And I was quoting from the Federation of American Societies uh, for Experimental Biology. And in medievalhistory.net goes on. All Western advances in civil engineering, mathematics, and chemistry, and medicine, and astronomy were founded upon the medieval uh, sciences of Islam. So, and then the next reference here talks about how modern mathematics emerged from the lost libraries of Islam. And so what, what did it? What brought about this great uh, scientific revolution? This was the teachings of the Holy Quran and what Muhammad established. So Islam has a very good track record of bringing good to mankind, but it doesn't stop there. The second point I'd like to bring up is Muslims have the highest level of life satisfaction. As you read from the study over here, this is quoting from the Daily Mail, uh, Muslims have the highest level of satisfaction, uh, and, and basically it trumps all belief systems. Now, I would be very interested to see what atheism does. How does atheism improve mankind? I believe if we were to press Randolph, he would not be able to find anything. Um, and, 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 you know, one thing I also want to make a, a distinction on, there's a distinction between what is secularism and atheism. Secularism is an umbrella term which embodies many people. There's eight, there's Muslims who are secular, there's Christians who are secular, and Jews, in fact, majority of Jews are secular as well. So that doesn't really tell us anything about atheism. 
So this is the second point which I would like to bring up, that they have the highest level of satisfaction and a feeling of oneness that trumps Christians, Buddhists, yogis, as the study suggests. Let's look at the third reason. Muslims are the most charitable and most likely to volunteer based upon the following study, as we see inside uh, on Yahoo News in the conversation. It says over here, the Muslims gave more to charity than other Americans. Not only that, but it also said they were also more likely to volunteer from, from the study. So here we see that Islam has brought about a great amount of good to this world, and even something which you can measure and you can see today. So I'd be very interested to see how does atheism change people's life? The belief that there is no God. Is there any way that they can even compete with this? Let's look at the third reason. Actually, let me go to the fourth reason here. Islam is a powerful rehabilitating force in the prison system. So basically, this was a study done um, by many different researchers, and, and, and this was a conclusion of their study right over here. It says, our research shows that Muslim prisoners are more likely to choose a practice Islam for reasons of piety, emotional coping, and, and good company. These largely, largely sincere motives for choosing to follow Islam impact in a significant and positive knock-on way on prisoners' attitudes to rehabilitation in terms of their reconnection with work, education, and, in, and, uh, and an intention to avoid future crime. Does atheism in any way rehabilitate people? In fact, you know, just from my own personal experiences, you could, all, all, all over America, first of all, you will find that there are uh, uh, chapels, Islamic chapels, where many, many people have converted to Islam and it has changed their life for the good. Let's, let's, keep, reading, uh, let's keep reading the study over here. It says the element of conversion or to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the elements of conversion to or within Islam as a rejection of materialism often reflected in an identity shift of the prisoner. This is what's important here. Sloughing off the previous life of crime, which had been driven by excessive desire for material gain. So as I was saying, from my personal experience, I've also worked a little bit in the prison, the prison ministry, and I've seen many people who have changed their life for the better uh, because of Islam. Uh, let's keep going over here. And so this is basically an article from the St. Louis American, Finding Islam in the Prisons. This is how former prisoners are changing their life again. It says, the conversion from Christianity to Islam is a forceful phenomenon that seems to have a very a positive impact on the lives of many behind bars and has helped ex-prisoners stay out of prison with an estimated 40,000 inmates uh, converting to Islam each year, Islamic teachings and lifestyles uh, and, uh, and alter, uh, alter, lifestyle alterations have made prisons a, a center space for Islam in America. So this is also important. Many of these people, the conversion from Christianity to Islam, this is, a, this is really what is a, a major impact here. And this is what you are going to find is no religion is going to be able to bring about this type of good, this much amount of good, other than Islam. And then finally, um, we're going to go to the next point over here. 
and Islam succeeds where other belief systems fail. Okay, so there's a verse in the Quran which actually condemns alcohol. Now, many people condemn alcohol. There's also other religions which condemn alcohol. But Islam succeeds where others fail to lower the rates of alcohol-related problems, such as crime, drunk driving, and fetal alcohol syndrome, mass shooting. So telling us, okay, well, Islam condemns alcohol, therefore it's true. That's not my argument. My argument is... Um, other belief systems do condemn alcohol. Some, some of the other belief systems actually do condemn alcohol, but they fail to really make an impact on society as, and humanity like Islam does. Islam is the only one which does so, as we can see in this documentation. So let's, let's take a look at the first impact. Muslim, this is basically a study done on something known as fetal alcohol syndrome. And um, this is basically a disease which happens inside the, you know, when the woman drinks, expecting mother drinks alcohol, it could harm the fetus and it could cause cases of retardation, of violence in children. So what they discovered was Muslim women are 50 times lower than the global average to give a fetal alcohol child. So yeah, true. Uh, maybe one out of 10 people can say, yeah, I think you should not drink alcohol at all, but very few people. I mean, Islam is the only religion which can really produce these type of results. And so in the next study, uh, which was done on uh, children with fetal alcohol syndrome, again, all my references are right there on the screen for you. Uh, this was basically posted in the National Library of Medicine. One of the cri exclusion criterias were observant Muslim women whose religious practices prohibited alcohol consumption. And going back to the... Uh, previous study, notice that they, they each one is citing the Islamic faith, which promotes the abstinence of alcohol. So 50 times less likely than the global average. So, so, so let's look at not only that, but let's look at alcohol and crime. It is an estimated 36% of crimes committed in, in America is, is alcohol-induced. And then so, so let's talk about how much good Islam is not only saving children from fetal alcohol syndrome, but helping reduce crime. And alcohol, they say, is a factor in 40% of crimes in the, in the next study over here. And, and the list goes on. So in conclusion, look at this. Islam started a fantastic scientific revolution, which all of humanity has benefited. Muslims have the highest level of satisfaction among all people. Muslims are more charitable and more likely to volunteer. They, they are the highest rate of charity. And we see how it's a powerful rehabilitating force in the prisons. Islam succeeds where others fail in terms of reducing the uh, rate of fetal alcohol syndrome and crime in general. Now, some people, now in closing, some people may try to associate Islam with terrorism. Well, look at all this terrorism stuff. That has nothing to do with Islam, and that definitely can be debated tonight, and I will prove that um, as we have this discussion and dialogue. So the question I'll have for Randolph, how does atheism in any way can compete with Islam? Go ahead, Randolph. Thank you very much, Nadir, for that opening statement. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, don't forget to hit that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up. For example, at the bottom right of your screen, that's just one example of upcoming debates that are going to be, as I mentioned, quite juicy. So I want to say, though, whether you be atheist, Muslim, Christian, you name it, we appreciate you being here. And with that, thanks so much, Randolph. The floor is all yours.
Thank you, Nadir. Thank you, James. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. I, um, I suppose we will be uh, discussing some of these uh, issues that you raised in your opening statement uh, in the next section of this debate. Uh, I do have an opening statement uh, uh, ready, so I will start with this. Um, freedom. That's what this is all about. This intrinsic characteristic of atheism leaves people with personal sovereignty because there are no requirements to conform to anything, ideological or otherwise. It is foundational for all of humankind, even prior to the formations of societies. With freedom as its fundamental value, members of a society can thrive in so many ways, and especially including creatively through art, music, writing, scientific and technological endeavor and invention, debates <laughs> like this one, and other free exchanges of ideas, plus so much more. Humankind, in my opinion, flourishes, or it seems to me anyway that it does, because we tend to progress more when we're not confined by arbitrary restrictions. Islam, on the other hand, takes submission as its central theme. It's in the name. And like many other religions, demands conformity over a free hand. Islam controls your way of living, for example, how you eat and when you fast, how you sleep, who you can talk with, who your friends are, who you support in disputes and whatnot. Do you prefer to live in a society where everyone has the freedom to make up their own minds on things like this, on their own lives? It seems to me that most people don't enjoy working from within the confines of micromanagement. I believe that when people can live life to its fullest in accordance with their needs and desires in harmonious ways, that this is actually better for society and ultimately for humankind. Why limit the individual though? And that's an easy one to answer, to control the masses. If laws and regulations are fair and just, then legal limitations tend to be regarded as reasonable. If laws and regulations are unfair and unjust, then legal limitations can be inconveniences or at best and dangerously oppressive at worst, such as when a punishment doesn't fit the crime. We hear this saying a lot. Enter John Rawls, a philosopher, contemporary philosopher in his 1971 book, a theory of justice presented an idea known as the veil of ignorance, which promotes a philosophy of ethics through empathy as an intellectual tool for lawmakers to draft fair and just laws in a manner that embraces the needs of people in the most inclusive of ways. In an Islamic society, the veil of ignorance would lead to contravening the Sharia requirements that are centered around a 14 year old religious doctrine. This inflexibility is not in line with a goal of higher quality living because laws must be adapted to support people with the minimum amount of impositions and disruptions to people's lives, or in other words, maximum freedoms. In an atheistic society, the veil of ignorance can flourish without such limitations, which in turn supports a higher quality of living for everyone. Hence, higher quality of living must be a goal unencumbered that's freely available to all. Thank you, James. Thank you, Nadir. The pleasure is all mine, Randolph, and very excited to jump into the open dialogue section. Do want to mention, folks, we are absolutely thrilled. Check out at the bottom right of your screen another 
huge debate coming up at our upcoming conference, Modern Day Debate, Debate Con, which is happening in Dallas, Texas, January 15th and 16th. In particular, Elijah Schaefer and Destiny collide on whether or not religion and government can overlap. And so, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. And with that, thank you very much, Randolph and Nadir. The floor is all yours for open dialogue. Or I think you might be on mute, Nadir. Let me, uh... I'm sorry about that. Thank you. Randolph, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of comment on what you've presented. It seems like what you have presented is more opinion-based, and it is not founded upon real research. Now, please, I'm just going to give you one statistic, which I, pres which I presented to you. It says Muslims have the highest life satisfaction than any group of people. Okay, so you said, okay, well, Islam can't do that because it's so restrictive, which I don't think is correct. Uh, but this is proving you wrong. This is showing you that uh, it actually works, you know. And and so when you see something like, I mean, I guess you've said basically that this um, atheism produces happiness and the freedom of that atheism gives. Do you have any kind of documentation or whether it are peer-reviewed journals that can substantiate that happy that atheism is really producing this great happiness and and all the stuff. Oh, um, I'm not promoting a bias toward happiness. The uh, uh, happiness is one aspect of uh, of living a high quality life, but happiness isn't forever. Not everybody wants to be happy all the time. Um, this is, uh, of course, uh, there are times when we need to go through different emotions and different feelings in our life, uh, because if all we have is happiness, then we can end up becoming sure. neurotic. Sure. And that, that is a concern for me. So I, I don't want to uh, present the bias. Now, atheism doesn't have a bias toward any particular emotion. Mm -hmm. emotion. This is up to the individual. Now, in society, as I see other people who are not feeling they're, they're feeling kind of down, I'll show concern for my fellow person, my fellow man, my fellow woman, and uh, be uh, wondering if there's something I can do to help them. I may not have the answer for them, and that's okay. Um, the fact that there's somebody out there to provide support is important. This is the empathy aspect of it, and this yeah. seems to come naturally with people. I don't think we need a religion to tell us to care about one another, because this seems to come up automatically with a lot of people and you're right yes these are my opinions based on what i've seen yeah. in in life now i do question the statistics that uh, uh, muslims are happier than everybody else uh, because uh, the questions that come up for me is how do you measure happiness because what can make one person happy and feeling satisfied uh, may not make another person feel happy sure. well let me, let, me, let me just kind of jump in and talk about this so i think you are conceding that a lot of your beliefs and justifications for um you being an atheist is is subjective and based upon personal experience and personal interpretation but as far as you come in tonight and really presenting any kind of statistics or any kind of figures that's just not going to happen you don't have that for us uh, tonight it, it, would you pretty much assume that's correct or i'm i'm not conceding that uh, uh mm -hmm. that's the case this is a fact what yeah. you stated okay uh, so, so no concession yeah uh, and regarding the study if you have any questions regarding the the data which i've presented to you you definitely are welcome to uh produce a peer-reviewed journal sub uh submit it to the scientific community with your findings and your studies 
and uh, get it peer reviewed. And, and once it goes through the proper channels and the scientific community looks at your research and says, okay, Muslims are not the most happiest people based on Randall's research, I would be more than happy to retract my statement. So get it peer reviewed. And uh, But I, I think when I'm listening to you, there is a lot of, you know, well, this is how it appeals to me personally. But, you know, that's a very subjective way of really looking at it. And, and <clears throat> you know, I've shown you, like, for example, uh, let me just share you another, uh, you know. Well, hang yeah. on. If, yeah, go if, ahead. You, if, if you want to take a look at it, there's uh, countries... Um... There's a, a website called worldpopulationreview.com. You, you cited something from the Daily Mail, and that's fine. Um, the, they're, they're listing the top seven happiest countries in the world, mm -hmm. and Finland is number one. Now, Finland is not known as a Muslim-majority country, nor is Denmark, which scored second place, Switzerland, third place, Norway, fourth place, Sweden, fifth place, and an honorable mention for Bhutan. So these countries aren't known for being uh, predominantly um, uh, having a, a demographic makeup of, uh, of Muslims. Mm -hmm. Right, correct. So these countries, um, which are generally known to be secular, mm -hmm. and you did yeah. point out a correct distinction between secularism and atheism earlier. Um, that is, we can get into that later. The, um, uh, the thing is they're um, nobody's being required to be part of a particular religion. If we take a look at countries like Saudi Arabia, um, people are required to be part of religion, they're part of uh, part of Islam, and uh, there are other countries too. And uh, like I believe Indonesia does that; they force people to choose a religion, um, and they have a list of five. You, you don't think atheists do that? You don't think atheists in atheism, China force you to uh, be atheists? You're asking about individual atheists. I'm talking about atheism in general. Okay. Because I can tell you that when it comes to forcing people uh, to be a particular religion or belief system, uh, nobody's worse than atheists, <laughs> at least historically speaking. I mean, we can look at China today and we can see how they uh, put are, are putting people, these are your atheist brothers who are putting people in concentration camps, right? Uh, and, and, and Okay, well, I think those, those concentration camps are real. And I mean, we could just also look at Pol Pot, we can look at Stalin, we can look at so many Stalin atheists. was uh, very much utilizing Christianity, he was utilizing mm -hmm. religion. Well, let me share, let me show you something. Whoa, whoa, here what was the quick. next name you were going to mention? Pol Pot. Well, no, after you. Stalin. Lenin. Lenin, okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I want to show you something here real quick, um, if I may. Um, so here's an article, this is from history.com. Look what it says over here. Communism begins where atheism begins. Do you see that? This was a quote from the Communist Manifesto. Now, see, we're kind of in the same boat here where you could look at what the evil that atheists have done in this world and are continually doing. Um, and you can say, I, that, I disagree with that. And I would say the same thing. If I see the, see, we are in the same boat. You have bad, ugly apples and so do we. But, I'm not uh, denying. Hey, I'm not. That's why I I, I yeah. called you out when you're talking about specific mm -hmm. atheists just a moment ago, because uh, yeah, the my observation of people in the world yeah. is that there are really. Well, nice here's people. what here's a quote for Stalin about him being an atheist. You can I'll read just that. I'll just finish. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're just they will. Um, there are really nice people. There are really horrible people, and then there's the majority in between that it's all in a spectrum. And my finding in dealing with different people over the years, interacting with mm -hmm. different people over the years, is that uh, it's pretty much the same makeup in both the theist and atheist demographic. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I guess, you know, the question, you know, 
Mike, you know, which I've been asking here is how can atheism in any way, I mean, I mean, put aside your personal experience, and I understand you've had wonderful experiences with atheism, but in terms of really establishing facts, how can atheism in any way compete with the good which Islam has brought? I mean, how, how, I'll just give you one example. I mean, the, we, we talked about the rehabilitation in the prison system, how Islam is a powerful force for rehabilitating prisoners. Now, I have never heard, you know, of atheism having any impact in, in, in the prison system. I'm not saying it can never happen, but how can atheism in any way can complete, compete with Islam? Okay, so we have uh, prison systems that in many countries that need to be reformed. And I've been an advocate for prison reform for quite a long time, much longer than, uh, than people are aware of here. And I see that uh, countries like Norway are taking rehabilitation to, to an extreme, as some people call it. Um, and they're, they're having really good results, really good successes with it. So this kind of rehabilitation is very good. Um, again, they weren't inspired by Islam. They came up with this through different approaches. And then I take a look at a study that was done a few years ago in the U.S. prison systems, if I recall correctly. They brought in dogs to be trained by prisoners who were on death row, for example, or others who were in there for serious crimes. And they each had their own cells. So they were they were raising these animals, these dogs, and getting them trained up. And it, it really helped. It was a good rehabilitative approach. So this, there's a lot of different in, interesting points out there that point toward rehabilitation. Sure. If I look uh, at, if I look at, yeah. uh, can I respond to that really quick? Okay. If I look at Islamic yeah. Sharia, I see uh, inequality um, of women being treated as worth their testimony. Well, well, before we go there, let's, yeah. let's just, let me answer on the prison. I think that that is yeah. pro rehabilitation. If anything, that's yeah. pushing further punishment. Yeah, well, definitely get your research peer reviewed. That's the first thing I will tell you, you know, when you when you because this is a research uh, which was done here and it, it clearly states over here how Islam. In fact, I'll, I will just read it again. Sloughing off a previous life of crime, which has been driven by an excessive desire for material gain. The elements of conversion to Islam helps with rehabilitating prisoners. And, and we're not talking about one or two, but we're talking about several thousands. Now, uh, you know, again, I'm quoting for you research, uh, you know, which was done on this. And you're just saying, well, I don't, you're, you're, it's like what you're doing, you're looking at this and you're interpreting it in a, in a way which suits you best, but you don't really have any kind of research or documentation to refute what I'm showing you, you know? So I think uh, if you really have any kind of legitimate claims, get it peer reviewed and submit it to these authors who basically wrote this uh, research paper. I also forgot to mention about Finland. Yeah, that's true. Finland and a lot of the European countries are the happiest places, but that's a hodgepodge of different beliefs in there, Christianity, Islam, uh, atheists as well. That really doesn't tell us anything about atheism. And it is true, Muslim. the Muslim world is going through a very rough period. It also doesn't tell us anything about yeah. Islam. Well, the study which you did, did it, of course, I'm not, but my point here is up till thus far, you know, at least I'm producing some kind of research, you know, sure. thus far, would you agree with me in terms of really substantiating facts? You have not produced anything. I mean, you've produced your, what you felt was, uh, was right about atheism and you've produced what, how it impacted you, but you have not presented any real research tonight. Would no, you agree I, with that? I stated facts. It wasn't just feelings. Um, okay, what fact can research, you give to support atheism? Research 
paper that you've brought up. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with it. I'd have to read it and okay. see for myself first and before I'd oh, be yeah. able to, uh, to accept it. Sure. Okay. No problem. Now there's, a, uh, you know, I think these are things which I, maybe... I didn't have the opportunity of uh, knowing about that research paper ahead yeah. of time, to be okay. fair. And of course about Islam uh, promoting the Muslims are the most happiest people. And that also goes to show you, this was done in the Western world. When we were given the same resources and kind of lifestyle as everyone else, we perform better. So, so we perform as perform at the best. But we, I also showed you how they're the number one in terms of charity. The people who give the most in charity are Muslims and the people who give, uh, who are most, uh, most uh, available to volunteer are Muslims. I also shared that for you. So when you start adding it up, I think you have to agree, uh, Randolph. There's no way atheism can compete with this. You can't compete with that. Can you at least agree with that? Um, I would have to read those statistics and look it up okay, to be sure. You had to have to read it. The, okay. uh, I know some Christians who would vehemently disagree with you on that mm -hmm. because they want to be uh, top in uh, uh, Christianity being uh, quite generous. And what I do see is charity and uh, volunteering coming from uh, all demographics. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks to me like it's more to do with people in general rather than uh, with, with the Muslims. Now, I've encountered Muslims who tell me that um, their doctrine forbids them to to help non-Muslims. So, oh, no. yeah. well, that's not true. At, uh, four, <laughs> verse eighty-nine in the Quran, and you'll okay, see it there. Sure. That's sure. one example. So, um, okay, there's well, there are concerns. That okay, we, we, so yeah, yeah. Now, again, well, you can, if you think that statistics, verse, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll look the, at that verse. I'd have to read the research yeah. that you're providing before I could uh, accept that. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's the problem here. I think you have not really looked into Islam uh, well enough to really, uh, and it's evidence. And then not only that, but there's also the scientific evidence, you know, so uh, which which is there as well. And I think that I definitely, uh, I definitely invite you to do that. But the but Why? the outlandish claim that Islam tells us not to help non-Muslims is of course uh, is well, of course ridiculous. Outlandish claim. It's right there in the Quran. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, okay. Let's let's. Well, you said chapter four, verse eighty-nine. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe it's eighty-nine, and uh, they're okay. they're saying not to uh, not to uh, not to become friends with non-Muslims with non-believers. Oh, not to be friends. Don't don't take the non-believers as your friends. So so now you interpreted the verse to mean you can never help uh, no, no. non-Muslims. Is that correct? So that is an interpretation. No, that's, uh, not what I've done. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Why are you trying to change what I'm saying? Okay. It's um, uh, charity. Okay. Well, let me let me let me just settle the matter. Uh, so, okay, let me just first answer the verse. It's not four eighty nine, where it says, "Do not take the people of the book as your friends." But I I'm sure you and know do not that. Help them. I think I think it also says. Okay. Well, uh, let, let, let's get. Let me let me just go ahead and show you uh, a reference, which I think will will. We'll, we'll, we'll solve, we'll resolve the confusion here, okay? So let's let's go over here and uh, let's go to the people of, this is a hadith of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, okay? So this is called the people of Supa. They're a group of non-believers. They were the guests of Islam and, and they were basically people who were starving. And uh, they, would, they were fasting by, by putting stones to their stomach over here. So the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, invited them in. He fed them even while all the other Muslims and everybody else was starving. I know this is a lot, but I'm just paraphrasing nice. it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what's very interesting here 
is not only did the Prophet Muhammad feed and clothe them while all the rest of the people were starving, but not only that, but <clears throat> he did a wonderful miracle for them in which food was multiplied and, and he fed them. So, so this, I hope this hadith, which hadith is a story from the history of Prophet Muhammad, uh, will, you know, will clarify the matter. And there's many references like this, by the way, uh, which, in fact, let me, let me get you another so reference. They're setting yeah. a good example there. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. Um, however, yeah. what I was talking about was in the Quran, not in the Hadiths. Okay, well, the Quran, so see, the Hadith explains it a little bit further, but I don't think there's any verse in the Quran which says that you cannot, do not help non-Muslims, okay? Uh, there's just simply isn't any anything like that. So, um, so also another one which I also kind of wanted to share with you another reference, okay, from Prophet Muhammad, okay, which oh. talks about from 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 the non-Muslims uh, how to how to treat the non-Muslims, okay? It says over here, it's sent by Muad. Uh, he he sent them. Um, this is uh, he sent Muad uh, uh, to Yemen, okay? He said, treat the people with ease, don't be hard on them. Give them glad tidings and don't fill them with aversion, meaning hatred. And uh, love love one another is actually not in the text. It says they don't differ, meaning don't get into argumentation. Okay, when so, I see, when yeah. I see a cautionary note of don't be hard on them, uh, that gives me some insight into what the general attitude is. Mm -hmm. why, why would it be necessary to tell people to not be hard on others if, uh, if the religion is so good for uh, quality mm -hmm. of life, you know? Yeah, so basically, I think what you're doing, you're, uh, I think you're, you're trying to split I'm asking over. a question is what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, you're splitting. I think you're kind of splitting hairs. And I think because he's going to be sent as a ruler um, over over Yemen, and there were the Jews and the Christians why, who were living over there. Why would people with ease be sufficient? Why, why would he have to have the additional cautionary note of don't be hard on them? It's, it's as if he's expecting people to be hard on the other people. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think that it would be a wrong interpretation. That's a wrong assumption. Uh, there, there's right no there the text. There, there's, there's no, uh, there's no justification for that. But I think the, going back to the original point, look, uh, you said that Islam teaches not to help non-Muslims. I think that is a misunderstanding of our religion, and certainly, we cannot accept. I mean, if Islam really, really taught that, then how do you, would you even begin to explain that Muslims? are the number one who gave to charity in America in 2020, that they're the that they're the number one people who are most likely to volunteer according to the study. So I think, you know, I mean, you, you these are the facts which I'm presenting to you. So and, I, and I want to return the question to, to you. I mean, when you look at these I'm going to defend, I'm going to yeah. defend what I've said here because you're claiming mm -hmm. that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So when I bring up verse 89 in chapter four at yeah. a website called Quran.com, Q-U-R-A-N.com, yeah. uh, the English says here, they wish that you should disbelieve as they have disbelieved, and thus you become all alike. So do not take friends from among them unless they migrate in the way of Allah. Sure, then, sure. If they turn away, seize them and kill them whenever you find them or wherever you find them, sure, and sure. do not take from them a friend or helper. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you read the next verse? I'm, uh, it's not sure. Me, okay, let me, I'll do it for you. Let me, yeah. let me read the next verse for you, okay? But, but here it's where it's saying, don't yeah. take them as a friend or helper. And, you know, maybe uh, they're not saying that uh, you can't help the others, but they're, they're saying, don't okay. take help from others. Yeah, it's, like I said, that's, well, let me first. It's, it's uh, ordering people to kill them. Yeah, because yeah. they don't believe in Allah, like that. Yeah, that's the page yeah. I'm looking at. Okay, so, okay. 
okay. So let's let's go. Yeah. So let's let's read the very next verse, which is right below it. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's go here. Four ninety. Except those who join a group between you and whom there is a treaty, or who come to you, uh, who come to you with their hearts feeling uh, discomfort in fighting either against you or against their own people. If Allah had willed, He would have given them power over you. Then they, uh, then they would have fought you. So if they stay away from you, do not and do not fight you nor nor offer peace then allah has not given any authority against them so this is really uh, uh, this is really uh, a very amazing verse over here because the, what the quran is stating over here it states like if they are not offering you peace they're not peaceful people they're not staying away from you uh, then allah has given you no authority against them to kill them you see, so I, I just wanted to show you that it's when you read the verse in its context, well, it's it is conditional. the condition is laid out in the first sentence. Yeah, if they're not they, okay, so let's go to, to join. The, they have to join forces with you, or have okay. to accept uh, those who join. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to let's go to let's go to. So now, if you say okay, well, it's conditional. Let's go to the next verse. The next verse is a famous four ninety one spot check. Okay? okay. So 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 this is going to answer your question here. So you will find others who will be secure from you. Well, and... we were looking at the first. Uh, well, let me let me just read this because this will answer that. The next verse, okay? Well, we're certainly and... looking at the second translation here. We were, I was looking at the first translation. Oh, you want me to do this one? Yeah, that's what we were okay. looking. It should be consistent. You will find you will find others who want to be safe from you and safe from their own people. But whenever they are called back to mischief, they are plunged into it. So now here comes a spot check for the Muslim warrior is to perform on the uh, battlefield. If they do not stay away from you, nor offer, and do not offer you peace, and do not restrain their hands, then seize them and kill them wherever you find them. We have given you an open authority against them. So this is a condition of where Muslims are, 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 are called to attack and kill. That if they're not staying away from you, they're not offering you peace, their hands are not restrained, you check all these three. Okay, now you can kill them. All right, that's a 491 spot check, which well, the Muslims a license are supposed to kill. To a license to kill when they're not necessarily trying to kill you. Interesting. Well, they are trying to kill you if they do not restrain their hands from you, nor are they offering you peace. That doesn't say anything about them trying to kill you. Well, they're not restraining their hands against you. Well, they're violently trying to attack them, attack you. I think that's pretty clear, right? Yeah, it's pretty harsh to respond with. Uh, okay, uh, that's not clear for you, huh? <laughs> it's not working for me because. If uh, they do not, not stay saying... away from you, okay. nor offer you peace nor restrain their hands. Why is the Quran that going through, giving you all these... That does not translate to an attempt to kill, though. Well, if they're not... Okay, how can you kill a peace, peaceful people? How can you kill a peaceful person when the Quran clearly says, and they do not, and if they're not offering you peace, and yet you kill them, how can you do that? It's, it, walk me through the thought process for someone to kill an innocent person in light of this passage. Walk me through that. How did that work? The, the conditions were laid out in the first place uh, on, on the first part of it. Now here, there it seems almost contradictory, but not quite, because again, not offering you peace is not the same as attempting to kill you. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if, if someone mm-hmm. is attempting to kill you, they're not offering you peace, right? So if, if somebody's attempting to kill you, then, of course, uh, self-defense killing them seems not out of line. But if all they're doing is not... Uh, uh, okay, how do you kill an innocent person in light of 490 and 491? How do you kill an innocent person like that? Walk me through the thought process. What, uh, if, what's the reason that they're trying to kill you? Well, you should... Look, you brought up this verse... You know, no, you, you need to explain. Well, I, no, you brought up 489. I'm showing you in you context. Brought up 491. Mm-hmm. The 491 spot check. If you were to perform this on the battlefield or or wherever, even in life, how can you kill an innocent person in light of this passage? I'm sorry. Say the question again. How do you kill an innocent person in light of chapter four, verse 91? Okay, so the, I think there's an issue here with the defining what is innocent. Innocent of what? Okay, how do you kill an unarmed person? Well, um, that depends on what you're, what technique you're going to use, of course. So here, this is giving people a license to kill when what they're doing, it doesn't say they're trying to kill you, but it's giving you the okay to kill them. Yeah, based on conditions, right? Sure, but nonetheless. If they're not staying away from you, they're, for, they're coming enough. forward against you, nor that's offer not you peace nor offer you peace, okay? That's not justice. And do not restrain their hands. So now they're not restraining their hands. This is clear, meaning they're coming at you. They're violently attacking you in some way. Then seize Not necessarily. Them. They could just be making, okay. they could just be a noisy neighbor who's not giving okay. you peace to sleep. Okay, listen, Randolph, listen. That certainly is a way an atheist who is in a debate Why? and trying, hold on, let me, let me finish my point. Okay. Let me, okay. An atheist in a debate who's trying to defend his views is going to interpret it like that. Okay, okay. but for the one who sincerely believes in Islam, they will not interpret it in such a nefarious, malicious way. We're going to interpret it in the best way possible. That's how we're going to understand it. Will okay? the Islamic State do that? Well, of course, they're the Islamic State are a group of, uh, you know, they're renegades. They're they're exactly how you would call the communists. Uh, and, and, and Joseph Stalin and all the other uh, terrorist atheists as well, who have done far worse than the Islamic State. So anyways, going back to my point, so I want to... That, that obviates your point of all Muslims would interpret it this way. Not all, maybe some would. Well, Islamic State doesn't... You're, you're an example of a Muslim who does interpret it that way. Yeah. When I'm looking well, I have not met anybody who was... But, I, actually, I've not even... I even... Um, ISIS does not interpret 491 in any malicious way. Even they can't do it. <laughs> they have a well, magazine called Debak. It looks and malicious I would read to me through because that. Yeah. it could have much more easily and more clearly just been written. If they are attempting to kill you, then you have the right to kill them. Like well, you're, it sounds like you're trying to say that this is a passage justifying okay. self-defense, but the conditions it's giving are a much lesser attack that okay. justifies a greater attack of killing and that, that's the problem I'm okay, having. Okay, I, I, you still haven't shown me how how you can kill uh, an innocent person in light of four and the 491 spot check. Well, that's, that's uh, what know. it permits. Okay, well, I'm, it doesn't, I'm, we're going to have to agree. To this. If you've no, got some malicious interpretation. It doesn't limit the progenitor's action of killing. Trying If they're kill. not restraining their hands from you. So, so but anyway, I think we, we kind of, we've kind of, um, exhausted this topic i mean if you want to have okay. a malicious interpretation on, Quran, that's fine. yeah i mean i have more references on that for you but i want to get back to the <laughs> subject of the debate sure. look if we you know we need to base our 
conclusions on facts, okay? I have given you, and I have not even, even given you the example how Islam was cited, you know, uh, of, there is a source of 50 times, the Muslim woman is 50 times less likely than the global average to give a fetal, to give birth to a fetal alcohol child. Does atheism have anything that can compete with that in any well, way? The reason, the reason for that is obvious because alcohol is prohibited in Islam. So, of course, that is going to be the natural result of that. Yeah, sure. Well, no, not necessarily, because a lot of belief systems condemn alcohol, but they cannot produce the type of impact and the success that Islam produces. Ah, but the difference with Islam is Sharia is uh, put in and used as a legal system. And mm -hmm. so these things are taken very, very seriously. That does no, the, the, I, Whereas I read under the study other regimes, you. it's not yeah. so seriously taken. No, it wasn't the Sharia, actually, which was cited in the study in both studies, it was the Islamic religion I didn't itself. Say the Sharia was cited in the studies. Okay. Okay. Well, if you feel that the study is inaccurate, just like you felt like the I one about the happiness inaccurate. is inaccurate, I, I just told you that okay. in, in a Sharia has nothing to do with it. Well, I mean, you can say the prohibits alcohol. Just to hear the rest of what Randolph was saying. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sorry. So if if you've got a regime that has laws that prohibit alcohol with serious consequences, mm -hmm. then of course people are not going to drink alcohol very much, mm -hmm. and the countries yeah. are not going to be importing very much of it, if any yeah. at all. None of that so was in the study, the by the way. The result is going to be that you're not going to have fetal alcohol syndrome yeah. occurring in those countries because the the access to alcohol is just not there. Okay, have you ever have you ever traveled to a Muslim country? Nope. Okay, so when you go to a Muslim country, I'll just give one like Morocco. Uh, which I've been Saudi to. Arabia. Uh, yeah, actually, there's alcohol in Morocco. There's alcohol in Saudi Arabia. Alcohol is readily available, actually. Oh. Uh, but if you look at the study, all of what you are saying is nowhere in that study. It was cited the Islamic religion. And they're not just Muslims in the Islamic world, but also in the Western world. But okay. the question, irregardless of the means which you are trying to get in at, the question I asked you is, how does atheism in any way can compete with it? What good can atheism give? And, and don't give personal interpretations or your personal experiences. What can we say atheism is, bring, is bringing good to the table here? Well, um, I think you're assuming that alcohol is bad. Um, no, I'm, that's not my question. I'm asking you, no, tell no. me something good atheism is bringing to the table. Freedom. That's what we're here. Yeah. Okay, personal, where's the study? Where's the study that- Sovereignty, freedom. Okay. Okay, we all have that freedom. Uh, Muslims have that freedom. Oh, so you're saying that, freedom. that under so you're saying under Islam, alcohol is not prohibited. Pork is not prohibited. Things like under, that. Under under Islam, I have all the freedom to make the decisions I want to make for myself. You see, I get under Islam. Uh, you know, people are going to sin. Of course, it gives you guidelines on how to live your life. But Islam also works in a secular system quite well. In fact, almost all the studies I've presented to you is from. Uh, secular. It, it was taken in a secular world, but the but the question I want to raise to you, well, and you said that, but I don't. Hold on, I want to question you on something. Um, well, you said that atheism. Whether you're religious, you said that atheism is some kind of catalyst, or it brings about freedom. Do you have any research or any publications that I can look at that cites atheism as causing the cause of freedom? Do you have anything like that? I never said that atheism was a catalyst or cause of freedom. Okay, then what is your freedom, claim about atheism? Freedom is intrinsic in atheism because atheism doesn't impose- That's a personal any opinion. Rules, guidelines, any rules, guidelines, or restrictions. That's a personal opinion, right? That's a fact. Okay, but in terms of an impact, a positive impact on people's life and humanity, I think you would agree that you will not find any research 
uh, for atheism to substantiate that. Now, I understand you are telling me, here's how atheism works. There's no rules. You can pretty much do whatever you want. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not contradicting that. But I am really, I'm focusing more on the data, the research, and what has been, uh, you know, studied in this regard by researchers and people who are not biased. Okay, and if we were to ask that question in terms of research and real documentation and, and references, there is none for atheists. Would you agree with that? I wouldn't agree that there's none, but I'm just not aware of any that are okay. going to talk about a society that has been created uh, purely as atheistic um, because uh, most of the societies have been created with some kind of religious influence. Mm -hmm. Now, there are the Paraha people who are very happy people in the Amazon rainforest. They don't have any religion at all. They don't even have words in the language for any goddesses or gods or any concept of religion. And uh, they seem to be living quite happily. In fact, there was a Christian get it peer reviewed. Get it peer reviewed. Word of Jesus to them, yeah. and uh, they, when he described what it is that people are believing, they laughed. They thought, "Who would believe something like that?" Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, he came back uh, not believing in any gods. <laughs> he was uh, became an atheist yeah. himself. It was quite an experience for the guy. So. Yeah. 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 See, see, also, I wanted to bring up, you mentioned one point that, well, I'm sure Christians would have a problem with that, or I'm sure I could say the same about other groups of people. Well, oh, yeah. the studies which I cited did take Christians as well as others into consideration. In fact, let me show you that real quick here. Yeah, I mean, this is not just they're looking at Muslims I will, and, I will say and one looking thing at them in a vacuum. Of, I, let, me, let me just share this with you real quick, okay? I have uh, seen different studies like this over the years, yeah, and yeah. they seem to come up with different results. Okay, well... Um, let's go over here. So they, they were talking that it trumps Christians, Buddhists, and yogis, the studies suggest. So basically, I want you to also understand, it's not like they're just looking at Muslims in a, in a vacuum. You see, no, they're looking at other groups of people. Yeah. So, so, but look, but let me show you something here. Now, I think what we can agree, I mean, in terms of, if you look at how Islam started a scientific revolution to benefit all of humanity, there's the highest level of satisfaction in life. Most um, likely to volunteer and give no, charity. I don't deny that Islam, that, that yeah. Muslims contributed to, to science. Mm -hmm. For example, classical optics, uh, uh, Muslims contributed quite a lot to yeah. because uh, uh, there was an interest in the stars to make sure that people were wanting to make sure they're oriented correctly right. when they're praying and all this sort of thing. So there was a there was an interest in that. And the contributions they made to classical optics were quite high quality, quite good. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, Islam definitely deserves credit for for Muslims doing that, for sure. Um, there are other places in the world where scientific advancement also occurred. It had nothing to do with Islam. China, for example, and sure, other sure, countries. Yeah. So it wasn't only Islam that can take credit for contributing to science. Other countries... Oh, absolutely, be. sure. Yeah. yeah, And you mentioned but, mathematics. Like the concept of zero was one that comes up a lot. The, yeah. the Chinese had the concept of zero long before uh, Islam was even around. Mm -hmm. So, So I think we are kind of all in agreement that if you know, my expectation um, that you are going to come tonight and pro like I've presented five facts, which is documented from scientific research mm -hmm. of how Islam has benefited uh, humanity in such a, you know, you are not going to be able in any way, again, based on facts and documentation to compete with Islam in this regard. I think that has been established Tonight, you're not going to present any kind of counter references to show the greatness of atheism or not something really like that. Not relevant, though. Okay, but but my, now my next question for you 
look, when I look at all of this good and, and, and you know, how do you even put a dollar amount on, on having a healthy baby safe from fetal alcohol syndrome? Why should I leave Islam and leave all this good that you are seeing on the screen and become an atheist? Why would I do that? You think I'm asking you to leave Islam? I'm not. Okay. I'm not asking anybody to leave their religions. But why would you, if you are here to promote atheism, so why would anybody want to leave Islam for atheism in light of what I've shared with you? Well, if somebody's finding that Islam is too oppressive for them, apparently you're not, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but some people do find it quite oppressive, and they want to get out of it. And so sure. atheism is is a natural place that many of them find themselves when they ex-Muslims. There's there's entire groups of ex-Muslims all around the world in every country almost, it seems, there are such sure. groups. So uh, it's interesting that people are leaving. And once they're leaving, the commentary that I hear from a lot of them is that they're very happy to have left. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other people who've joined Islam and say the same thing. They're very happy to have joined. So, you know, it's just people in under atheism, there's nothing that forbids people from leaving is uh, leaving and joining a religion. Right. Um, it's not something that you really join. It's just something you just don't believe, and that's it. Um, whereas with Islam, if you leave in many places, um, there is uh, there is a, a death sentence for you. They, the apostates, they're called, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know about this. And then the Pew Research Group did uh, a study that was quite significant. And they found statistically significant, and they found that around 65% of Muslims worldwide favored uh, death for apostates. Yeah. Now, that to me. Well, can I respond to apostasy? That, but this is a serious issue because they sure, want sure. people to die for leaving the religion. That mm -hmm. tells me that the religion is pretty oppressive. So there's a lot of pressure there on yeah. people to. Who, who, who do you think killed the most apostates around here? Sorry, who are the biggest oppressors of apostates? Well, let me, let me, let me just answer you on apostasy, okay? Okay, so first of all, what Islam says about apostasy, we can discuss that. But for us, the 99%, the, you can say the 1 billion Muslims uh, on this world. Sorry, which denomination we, are those 1 billion? Well, about 90% are Sunni, 10% Shiite. Oh, okay. So we're roughly, talking 90% yeah. of the Muslims. Well, look, well, we can say for 100% of all Muslims. Well, no, we, because denominations well, have different viewpoints on different Okay, this is what we all agree on. We disagree about how they're praying. Okay, this is what we all agree on. We all agree that the individual Muslims like us who are just living their lives and we're the, we are not called to kill apostates in any way. We can be friends with apostates. We, there's no, there's no call upon us. According to Pew Research oh, says that they should please. die. That sounds quite Randolph. like a discrepancy there to me. Randolph, let me, let me, let me okay. finish here real quick. Okay. So we are not called to kill any apostates because this would be a, a vigilante act. The, the rules of whatever apostasy, whatever Islam says about apostasy, and we'll talk about that in just a second, that's under something called Islamic Sharia law. It would be, for me to start implementing the punishments of Islamic Sharia law would be as foolish as for you to like, when you see someone speeding, pull them over and say, give me 50 bucks, because that's the punishment in America. You are, imp you are a vigilante at this point. So vigilante violence is not, or anywhere, has no place in Islam. Now, I want to also show you I that- I think the punishment of death for leaving okay. a religion is far worse than yeah. just having to pay $50 Let me get to that. for driving too fast. Okay, so the biggest deception and, and fraud, but I'm not, I'm not accusing you of that, but I'm accusing other people who, okay. who do this, is they try to portray Muslims as the ones who are the killers of apostate, and it is not. Number one, people who persecute apostates are Hindus. 
as we are going to see over here from the times of India. Um, and I want to ask you a question. Is this Saudi Arabia or India? Okay, here we see the Bajran Dal, a militant Hindu group, Hindu group who has physically assaulted Muslims and Christians, and, and the leaders threaten violence against Hindus who attend church on Christmas. That is apostasy. India is being... having a huge problem with this. Yeah. I, I know there's, there's, there's conflict yes. going back and forth. Yeah. Indian Christians, this is the latest news, actually, I think this was today, yeah. Oh, yeah, this was actually, I just put this in today. Indian Christians fear attack over uh, over jail conversions. Now, what is this? They, India has enacted these laws, which are called anti-conversion laws, which are nothing more than apostasy laws, which are being veiled as being something else. And they're murdering and killing Christians and Muslims, and especially Hindus, for, for for leaving the religion. So the number one killers of apostates are Hindus. Uh, and, and, and you where, can where look does at, it say that, yeah. sorry, where does it say that the Hindus are killing apostates of Islam? Well, Indian Christians fear attacks over conversions. And, and the articles go over here that, um, you know, basically- this, this, this article doesn't say anything about people who've left Islam. Oh, okay, you probably wanna go, you wanna, you wanna go over here. This is where they threaten violence against uh, those people who attend church on Christmas. So what? what is okay. that? Hindus are not Muslims. What's this yeah. got to do with the what I, Now I want to, what I'm showing you is that it's not Muslims who are the only one who are killing apostates. There are other people who are far worse. And the next group sure, of but people- but this doesn't address the point I made earlier. The next group of people who, who, who persecute apostates are Christians. Not the American Christians so much, but more so the Russian Orthodox Church. Are okay? they are they persecuting Islamic apostates? They're persecuting other groups of anybody who leaves the Russian Orthodox Church uh, to basically. The Russian Orthodox Church is not Islamic. No, I'm talking about. Uh, no, no, I'm not uh, Randolph. Uh, what I'm talking about is how other people are killing apostates, not just Muslims over here. So, so I don't. Yeah, yeah. but you, you haven't you haven't cited a single group that's killing Islamic apostates. Yeah, no, of course, there are some people who do kill apostates uh, among Muslims, but these are vigilante, these are vigilantes who are doing that, and that is something which we do not support in any way. But uh, what I'm trying to show you... Except for, well, 35%. And of course, atheists are the probably our second biggest group of people who kill apostates and persecute apostates. People who leave, who, who convert to Christianity or Islam in China are persecuted. So, so the yeah, apostasy I'm, laws- I'm not going to discuss that because as a policy, I don't talk about China because okay. there's uh, too many different viewpoints on it and I don't want to go divert into that. It's a big rabbit Well, hole. your atheist brothers and sisters over there uh, you know, are killing well, apostates I, I told left you, there's right. a bunch of propaganda going on, and it's I, I, I'm not going into that area. Okay. That's the political area. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the point is you've not actually defeated the Pew Research study that showed approximately 65% of Muslims mm -hmm. are in favor of killing apostates. Oh yeah, well that's normal. And let me explain, oh, explain what I mean I'm by glad that. Glad that you agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because when they when they actually asked evangelical Christians, forty nine percent of evangelical Christians said that if they had the opportunity, they would make Islam illegal in America. In fact, let me look I for that statistic. I think I disagree with those evangelicals. I don't think it should yeah. be outlawed. So that's my point. If you if you query, if you look at statistics from other groups of people. They don't fare any better, okay? Uh, and we also have seen what is going, 
Yeah. It, I, I'm yeah. not just, the other groups of people aren't trying. You haven't demonstrated how any of these other yeah. groups. Gold are, are basically opinions. Well, first of all, I haven't even seen that study which you have quoted. So it's if you have it, just from yeah. quite a few years ago, but okay, uh, it's well. still, I think it's still relevant today. Yeah. Um, it's, I well, what I can tell you, when you look at studies and you look at what Christians, you look at other groups of people, what they believe in, Muslims really are not that much different. <laughs> you know, so uh, 49% of evangelical Christians. This is, yeah, they would, they would all, yeah. 65% of 1 billion people mm -hmm. is 650 million people in the world mm -hmm. who think it's yeah. okay for people who leave Islam to yeah. be killed, to be executed. Well, I have not That's, seen that study. That is but, not, that is not yeah. the recipe for the betterment of humanity, in my view. No, uh, okay, so let's let's talk apostasy. As I said, for us Muslims, what, what is, let's talk about what Islam teaches. Now, one thing I want to make it, it very clear. obviously teaches it's okay to kill apostates. No, Otherwise, 65% no, no, of the people no. wouldn't feel that way. No, what Islam teaches is we do not engage in vigilante violence. I have no right. No, okay, the sure one the billion, hold on a second. They're the, the one, law, yeah. The one billion Muslims on the face of this planet, Islam removes any kind of right or any kind of way for us to kill apostates because that would be considered vigilante violence and we do not engage in that. We are free. Islam offers us the freedom to be friends with apostates. We can work alongside with them and there's no problem with that. So I need to clarify yeah. what I said here because I think yeah. you might be misunderstanding me. Okay. I was not saying that um, uh, Muslims are going to actually take that action. The Pew Research study was whether they favor execution of, of death for apostasy. And the answer was yeah. yes. Now it's assumed that they're going to let their government handle it in many cases. Yeah. So, you know, that's because they're, it's the government that's running Sharia and all that okay. stuff. But nonetheless, well, well, okay, now let's talk about Islamic law. The problem is the attitude of thinking it's okay to execute someone because they don't agree with, with the religion and they want to leave the religion and they've left it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where I have a problem. Atheism yeah. doesn't put this restriction on people. But Islam atheists have that opinion. That. Atheists are killing apostates. So Sorry, what? The, uh, atheists are killing apostates in China. Sorry, I'm, I'm are, talking about atheism here. I'm not talking about atheists. Yeah. I'm talking about uh, atheism okay. doesn't have anything in it yeah. that encourages killing people. Well, There's that's the whole thing. I mean, there. Well, if you look at atheism, uh, as you said, it gives you the freedom to do whatever you want. So, sure. It so, I mean, nobody. Freedom. It is intrinsically yeah. a freedom. Now, yeah. if we're living in society, we need to go by whatever the rules are in that society. If I was to move to Saudi Arabia, I, I would follow its laws. Right. I would have to. I may not like the laws. Well, but it's not it's, do that it's, because it's a matter of survival yeah. in that case. Yeah. Here in Canadian society, it's very different. We have a lot more freedom to freedom of expression, freedom of thought, freedom of association, freedom sure. of conscience, freedom of religion. We can choose yeah. to be part of a religion for as long or as little time as we like. Sure, and sure. I like living in this kind of society where we have these laws that don't favor any particular religion. Whereas if I went to Saudi Arabia as an atheist, I would be taken as a, uh, a terrorist under their legal system, which is justified under Islam. Well, and let me, I, be, well, I, I think we're veering as off. a terrorist just because yeah. I don't believe in any gods. Well, but he, I mean, definitely we can have that discussion, but I want to share this one. But what I see and the that, problem that's is. That's Islamic influence. That's taking okay. away people's freedoms. Yeah, it's but Randolph, 
But see, what I am seeing is you have moved more towards cr criticizing Islam, and that's good. We could do that. But what I've seen is you have pretty much given up all hope on in any way trying to show atheism in any way is good for humanity. So I think that issue has been resolved, and you are not going to in any way argue that any further based on well, documented no, there, there, there documentation. Imposed. There are limitations okay. imposed under Islam. So we can talk about Islam since Islam really is the one which has demonstrated itself as a real, uh, how you gonna say, a better as a real cure, and the real it has demonstrated sure. itself as the way it can definitely improve society for mankind. We know that's the fact now. But well, so I, that's why I want to I want to before we go into Islam. I just want to let everybody know what the score is, that since Islam has demonstrated itself to be that re reforming, you know, force for the betterment of society, uh, we can now look at that. Now, you're quoting statistics. Let me quote this one for you. Okay, this is basically uh, nine in 10 U.S. Muslims are proud to be Americans. Okay. It says over here, it says over here, compared with a general public, Muslims are more are more likely to say Targeting, killing civilians is never justifiable. Okay, so there's, if you want to quote statistics, and that was actually from Pew, uh, Pew Forum, there's my, there's my reference over there. So, so again, you know, let's not just pick one statistic. Let's, let's look at all. We know that they're the number one in terms of giving charity, giving donations, uh, giving, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, and, and as well as volunteering. And so there's many good statistics about Muslims. So, see, I think really, you oh, know, I'm we going to say yeah. that I think that there are many, um, many fine qualities, good things that can come from Islam. But I also am willing to say, hey, look, there are bad things about it, too. And that's mm -hmm. where the problems lie. And I think Islam mm -hmm. needs to be reformed. I well, think. OK, one bad thing you called is apostasy. Well, first of all, well, first brand yeah. 489 is another one. And then there's more stuff. There's 489 this. is only bad if you hold this malicious, nefarious interpretation of the text, which I have actually never seen anybody do. Yeah, I mean, look, it is bad for an atheist who's, who's in the middle of a debate and he's trying to find faults with the Quran. 489 look, looks Most horrible. Of the time. But to the rest of the Islamic world who can look at that, they can see the 491 spot check. And, and I mean, if you any kind of fair, charitable reading of the text, is going to look at that and say, I'm sorry, you are not going to be able to hurt or kill no. what I'm saying innocent people there, with that. What I'm saying is there are many beautiful things in the Quran, but there are also many horrible things, and I consider that to be one of the horrible things. Okay, let me now. I'll give you another example. Look, we, we try to go through the verse. I try to explain to you. Yep. 489, if you take it in context, is not, verse 90, and 91. I the problems with the spot yeah. check in 491. Okay, so so if you look footing. at the if you look at the history of Muhammad, okay, never there's actually many battles which have taken place, okay? Never will you find a single person who is innocent, who was killed as a result of having a different religion, who was killed in Islam because of that. So so now so let Muhammad be the way the person, the right person, um to interpret the Quran. So when we look at that, and never has there been a peaceful tribe or a tribe fought and, and killed just because they had a different religion. That simply has never existed in Islam. What about different okay. denominations under Islam? Yeah, Muhammad never killed or hurt anybody well, this would who had a different denomination. denomination. I, I, don't think, I don't think Muhammad started multiple denominations. I think those came later. 
So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, and, I, and we want to go back to apostasy. Well, I'm seeing many terrible things. So I hope that you will interpret 489, the verse you claim to have a problem with. You interpret it with a life of I Muhammad. do have a problem with it. That's not just okay. a claim. I'm stating a fact. Okay. I hope you will interpret it in light of the teachings of Prophet Muhammad. And now you did quote, uh, you did mention something about apostasy, okay? Um, so there is a, a misunderstanding in Islam that about Islam, that basically Islam demands the killing of all apostates. And that actually is not true. First of all, Muhammad himself never killed any apostates. Many apostates came to him, or it was presented to him, and he forgave them and, and, and basically let them go away. So That's in Islam, I'm sorry, what's that? That's good to hear. Yeah. So basically, in Islam, you know, there is a great deal of leniency towards apostates. And so there is not a hard and fast rule which says up all apostates must die. No, I'll agree with you on this. Yeah. I'll agree and I'll explain why. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually more charitable than the Bible. In the Bible, they when they come across people who don't believe, the order is just to kill them, at least with Islam. Under 489, uh, the the non-believer has the chance to become a believer first. So you're saying 489 is telling you to kill people because they're of a different religion? If they don't believe, that that is what it says. What it says, give them a chance. Basically, it looks to me yeah. like it says, give them a chance to convert yeah. first. And if they, still don't, if they still don't see the way of Allah, yeah. then seize them and kill them. Okay. So can you, I, I would very much like for just some person to corroborate what you are saying. Well, because to be, I, in a sense, like, I want you to find one person who I, can look at chapter 489, 90, and 91, and who can come to that conclusion that Islam is teaching. To, yeah, just one person, show me, yeah. One yeah, person, it's yeah. real easy. Yeah, I would like to see that because I, I'll Dilla. be very honest with you. Okay, I'm trying to answer your question. One yeah. person, it's really easy. Sure. Matt Dillahunty, he talked about this with a caller, and the caller. I heard that. Yeah. And so, so, so Matt Dillahunty came to the same conclusion. It's written right there. Other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so basically, there, there are ex-Muslims I've talked yeah. to who say that that's generally how they see it, and it's interpreted in different ways. But that's generally the idea. And there's um, uh, basically, uh, and some of them are very right set against it, of course. Mm -hmm. So uh, the caller, as I recall, was saying. Uh, uh, finally, they went back and forth, and he finally said, "Okay, at what time?" And so it's as if that only applies at a certain time period. So I heard that. I did hear that tape. And so basically. You remember this one. Yeah. So it's good. We yeah, both. So the mistake of Matt so I provided. I, I, I provided that one person you asked for. Oh, yeah, sure. So if you look at 489, you take a pair of scissors, you cut it out, and you just paste it right there. 489. And yes, absolutely. And that's what Matt Dillahunte did. He didn't even look at 490. My, my challenge to you is look at verse 89 look at verse 90 and look at 91 and tell me who is going to be able to come to that you conclusion took me through it today and okay. i pointed out the problems that i have with them and especially yeah. 491 okay. is it's saying it's not saying if they're trying to kill you kill them it's saying if they're doing a bunch of things that could annoy you kill them if the quran says if they're annoying you kill them then the quran is wrong but I don't think that's what the Quran the says. The Quran is wrong. I agree with you. Okay, so let's look at 491 really quick again. We just let's did. see I, if I'll, it I'll says. I'll look at it one more time with you. Yeah. Where does it say anything that annoyance was a 
was a criteria. So says, well, these things seem to me kind of annoying. So okay, Randall, not sway where does it say annoyance is so, a criteria well, to kill I'm them? Call, I'm characterizing these three things. As okay, no. Can you at least admit that's not what the text says? Do you want, do you want me to explain why I look at these as in the category of annoying? It says okay. so. If they do not stay away from you, okay. So I can remember being in elementary school and some kid would not stay away. This from is on me. the context of a battlefield. For a while. Randolph, this is on the context of a battlefield. You know that, right? Okay. Okay, so keep going. And they do not offer peace to you. Okay, so no peace offering. Fine. They might say I'm your enemy, but they're not saying I'm going to kill you. They're just saying I disagree. And they do not restrain their hands. Okay, so they're waving their well, hands. Well, no, no, no. And they do not offer you peace. That doesn't so, necessarily mean okay. that they're actually uh, trying to kill you. They may be mm -hmm. just trying to knock you down so they can get past somewhere you're blocking. Mm -hmm. The, the mm -hmm. context isn't clear here. And it says just kill them. It's very black and white. So yeah. these three. But, but how do you interpret this? How do you interpret this? And they do not restrain their hands. How do you interpret that? That doesn't mean they're trying to kill you. They could just be they're trying to knock you. No, that's down. exactly what they it means. Just be. Hang on, hang on. They could just be trying to push you out of the way. Let, let's. Okay. So 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 let me give you another verse, which I hope hopefully yeah, so will. You're, you're not. You yeah. you can't disagree with me on this because what I'm well, saying. Right, no, those you know, first three. Yeah. Now those first three annoyances. I'll just call them annoyances. Could easily be replaced with how do you how do you okay i want to see how, do your interpretation me, job on this let one. me finish this please okay. they said if that was simply to say if they are trying to kill you then kill them i would say okay yeah that makes sense that's reasonable but why list those three annoyances instead of mm -hmm. just saying outright what you're saying it's trying to say because that's a great spot check on the battlefield so you're saying are they like for example you can on the battlefield you, if they're not offering you peace, what that means is that they're basically coming to attack you. They're in no peaceful position. They're not restraining their hands. That when they, the, that phrase restraining their hands, what that means is basically they're they're in a you know you know aggressive posture to attack to hurt you and do agree. something. You see, no, so no no no. Do your way. interpretation job on this one. You could be blocking. Any of the, you how do you, okay, how you do you interpret nine six? How do you interpret this? And if any of the you could be blocking their path and they're just forcefully pushing you out of the way. Okay, well let, let's let's do that. Would be assault, but yeah. that's not okay. that's not attempt to kill. Okay, how do you interpret this one? If any of the this is chapter nine verse six. If any of the polytheists ask for your protection, grant it to them, so they may hear the word of God and escort them to a place of safety for they are people who have no knowledge you are supposed to escort them to a place of safety how do you interpret that okay that part of it i think sounds nice except for the last characterization says for they are people who have no knowledge i would yeah. say polytheists have knowledge of their deities right off the bat so that mm -hmm. statement is false there's a problem there with that one. You're, it's it's a put okay. down to people just because they believe in multiple deities and i disagree with that sure. Okay, so I know at least theists who are actually quite smart and have a lot of knowledge. Okay, so at least we can agree that basically, when people, this is again on the battlefield, there, the enemy is coming and asking for protection. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. What's that? But the part before this last characterization seems nice. I think that's a good approach. Okay. Okay. Good. So, and I, as I said, you but know, I have if, a problem with the put down at the end. I think that is okay. disgusting and it's okay. discriminatory. And Certainly, that, and you being, can have your being discriminatory is not a foundation for building uh, a better society, mm -hmm. a better, hu better yeah. for humankind. Yeah. So I think the point which is being made over here 
for they have for their people who have no knowledge. What's being meant over here? Well, the reason, whole reason why they're fighting you is because they're ignorant. If they would know about Islam, they wouldn't be fighting you. If they would know about the peaceful gesture that Islam brings, they wouldn't be fighting you. They're that obviously ignorant. Okay, that I think sounds, that's that, that sounds arrogant yeah. to me, and that's okay. a put down, and that's saying that they are lesser, they are worse off, and that yeah. that is a problem because that is mm -hmm. sowing the seeds for discrimination against polytheists. Mm -hmm. And under under <laughs> under an atheistic okay. under an atheistic uh, society, um, we don't we wouldn't have this kind of discrimination uh, coming from any kind of religious doctrine at least, sure, sure. and hopefully we wouldn't have it in the laws if people are using uh, John Rawls' theory of uh, justice, the uh, veil of ignorance, to try to form really good laws. So sure. you know, this okay. of course boils down to people and how they interpret things, and the same thing happens with Islam. And we've got the Pew, Re Pew Research Group talking about sixty-five percent see that it's okay to kill apostates for leaving Islam. Yeah, and the same and holds that's true for atheists as well. This is a, uh, this is a and Hindus are all killed. Okay, so However, now the difference is yeah. the difference is atheism is not saying that polytheists are uh, ignorant. Islam is, and you just show me the verse where it is. Can I can I show you, you how Muhammad? Can I show you how Muhammad himself interpreted 481? And that's what I wanted. That's what I, you know, of course, we can all make our interpretations of scripture. Are you, are you saying what, that, are you Are you about to show me that the Quran has a mistake in it? No, I'm showing you how Muhammad interpreted No, 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 no. Like if, if you're going to say that it's not being discriminatory toward polytheists, then what you are in effect going to be doing is, and you won't be able to avoid this, is saying that the Quran is oh. mistaken there. No, no. Well, no, that's exactly. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going anywhere near there. I just wanted to show you how how the Prophet Muhammad uh, basically interpreted uh, chapter four verses nine. I'm showing the 491 spot check uh, how Muhammad. I like interpreted, that you call it a spot okay? check. <laughs> yeah, because that's exactly the spot check you got to do on the battlefield. That's a good name for it. <laughs> yeah. So it says over here. Uh, so this is a story. I'm just going to paraphrase it over here. Okay. There's a man who came and he lifted up a sword to kill Prophet Muhammad. Okay, then the sword, you know, you could call it miraculously fell out of his hand and came into the hand of Muhammad. And then he raised it up and said, who's going to protect you from me? You know, and so, and so then, and so just going over very quickly, he said, who will protect you from me? As soon as he said that, the sword fell down from his hand and Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa uh, catching the sword, asked him, who will protect you from me? He will say, please forgive me. Okay. The messenger said, on the condition that you testify that there's none worthy of worship, but Allah, I am his messenger. Now, look at the look at the text here. It says, no, which is pretty. Now, that's a pretty brave guy. If I was there, even if I was on a Muslim, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, sure, just to get away. But this guy was really adamant. He says, no, but I promise, I promise you that I shall not fight against you, nor, nor shall I be with those people who fight with you. The prophet let him go. This is the 491 spot check because the 491 spot check clearly says, if they're offering you peace, let him go. Mm -hmm. And he went back to his people and said, I have come to you from one who is the best of the mankind, referring to Prophet Muhammad. So what I want you to do is interpret 491 the way Muhammad uh, interpreted. And I think then you will see that Islam, the Quran, is a book of peace and issue with issues like apostasy. We are not commanded to do that, I and so I don't take issue with that story mm -hmm. uh, in in its sense, saying sure. that it, Muhammad interpreted it that way. Um, 
I what I don't understand is why you're interpreting those three annoyances, as I call them, to be uh, an attempt at killing. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm saying it's not necessarily that that's the case. Mm -hmm. and well, that's, I, I, that's yeah. we're having a problem, and I'm saying that that's not justice. That is yeah. justice because okay. uh, you're it's giving people permission to kill people who are just annoying them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so I think you what, what's happening here is you're annoying, having, but it's annoying well, nonetheless. Well, I think what's happening here is you're having your private interpretation of scripture, and that's fine. We, we, you can have your interpretation, and I'm not going to fight you on that. So whose interpretation, uh, sorry, whose interpretation is the correct one? Yeah, you know, like I said, if ninety why is yours point, better than mine? Yeah, like I said, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who are going to read four eighty nine ninety ninety one will not come to that conclusion. Uh, so I'm, why, I'm pretty confident in that. Why is and, your interpretation better than mine? Yeah, we were, look, I think we've already exhausted 4, 9, 89, okay. 90, 91. I want to okay. get back to really, I think, the, <laughs> the real subject of this debate. And I think it, it really is how Islam and atheism benefits humanity. Now, I've cited five reasons, you know, and all of them were documented. And, and, and so I think we all agree that atheism, based on the documentation, not your personal experiences, Randolph, but if we look at atheism, Based upon documentation, it offers nothing for mankind. Would you agree on that? Well, atheism isn't uh, necessarily based on wrong. documentation. Well, atheism isn't necessarily. Well, it's it means that you don't believe in deities. That's it. That's all there is to it. Whereas Islam yeah. has a whole doctrine. Mm -hmm. It has the Sharia system. It has all these different things. It may it aims to be a political system as well as a legal system, mm -hmm. and it carries uh, various instances of injustice in it. Many. Well, well we that's not what I'm asking. Cover a few you. of these. So, yeah, you're very atheism. Up. Atheism is neutral. Whereas um, Islam is uh, bringing some good things and some really bad things. And because of the bad things, that's why I say that it's better to be neutral so that we can build our own system mm -hmm. from scratch. Right. But as far as, you know, what is based upon documentation, I mean, the I think you veered off on trying to talk about how bad Islam is. But the really the question, which I think you kind of. Well, you've tried to talk about how around. bad atheism is, and you haven't been able to show that. You've no, shown what I'm saying, it, no, the, the, really the subject of tonight's debate is what does atheism and Islam offer mankind? And if we look at atheism, and I think you're conceding, there is no real benefit that atheism, based on research, verified research, that atheism can offer mankind. There just no. isn't. You're, you're uh, adding anything like that. You're adding their criteria to this. I'm, I'm looking at the principles behind all this. And so, you know, if you want to add that criteria, I never agreed to add the criteria of, uh, of studies that, uh, that agree with all of this. Why shouldn't we base our views on facts and what has been researched and, and oh, documented? I'm not, we, I'm not saying we shouldn't base it on facts, but this is a question of principle. And so I'm looking at the principles and so the facts are definitely helpful for understanding the principles. I don't deny that. But the principles are atheism is intrinsically freedom, whereas Islam is intrinsically about submission and conforming mm -hmm. to the standard that Islam provides. Mm -hmm. And there are questions and concerns about certain aspects of Islam that I have that I think make it not the most ideal candidate for being the best for humankind. Mm -hmm. And I highlighted some yeah. of those. Yeah. So let's. So let's. Okay. So you've highlighted some things about Islam which you felt was not good for mankind. Okay. Would you a say a little bit longer? Yeah. Then we shortly have to go into Q and A. Sure. Sure. And, but would you say 
that it overrides all the good which I have presented to you in the terms that started a scientific revolution, that it helped children with fetal alcohol all syndrome. Of science. It started, I already clarified it only, you can't take credit yeah. for all of science with that. No, no, not all science. I'm not saying that. I say it started a scientific revolution. So you're sure. saying Within that- the community, the, for sure, yeah. Yeah, the negative things you see about Islam uh, overrides all of the good which it brings. Is that what you're claiming? I think that Islam brings on a lot of bad things to society. I, I really do. But, um, well, but, based on evidence, I mean, do you have any evidence for what you're saying? Oh, look Look at all the women who've been trying to leave Islam and get acid poured on their face or other kinds of abuse. Okay, that's not Islam, okay? you are. I, when we talk about evidence, I'm These talking are, about documented science facts, which we can read in peer-reviewed journals. These are Muslims who are yeah. basing their decisions on what they understand the principles okay. of Islam to be and what people around them consider that to be normal as well, which is a problem. Okay. And the underlying problem with a religion, any religion, is the demand for conformity. And I'm more on the pro-freedom side here, and Islam demands conformity, it demands submission, and things like that. Um, if I take a look at how women are treated, they get mistreated in uh, testimony and inheritance. They're uh, only getting 50% of what the man gets just because of their sex. In many Islamic societies, women are uh, severely restricted to wear um, clothing that is uh, uh, basically hides them so that you can only see their eyes, for example, and maybe well, their let, me, let me respond to some of that. Yeah. Okay. And so, so I'm not saying all Islamic yeah. societies do that, but many of them do. And this is a problem. And this is all being claimed to be done in the name of Islam because mm -hmm. Islam requires it. And I have a big problem with that because that, again, is a restriction on people's freedoms. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, the acid throwing thing that nowhere does Islam in any way endorse throwing acids in pe in people's face. I, so, I can accept that. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so that has nothing to do with Islam. And in terms of the clothes, the restrictions... It was a punishment. Well, I, no, that's absolute well, insanity. In the eyes Whoever of the did that are, are mentally punishment. ill people. I don't agree with that. I think it's wrong. I think it's it's immoral yeah. and ethical. I think it's cruel. Yeah. I think it's a human rights violation. That's, a men that's mental illness. Okay, that's what it is. Or uh, it's just hatred. Not necessarily. Don't 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 associate yeah. people who are mentally ill with that because there are lots of people with mental illnesses who are not violent, who are not bad people. There, there there's there's a whole spectrum of mental illness out there that ranges just as much as people without mental illnesses from good to bad. Yeah, and also you know in terms uh, a lot of the things uh, atheism doesn't inform me, but atheism yeah. doesn't tell me to discriminate against people and call them mentally ill. But it also doesn't do anything for mankind. And I think that's also pretty clear in this debate. People. So this yeah. way, this it, does, it has no positive impact for mankind. I think that is what the, really what we are all settling here on. What, I think that's what been happened with the Charlie Hebdo massacre? They were drawing pictures of Muhammad and Muslims yeah. all over the world. Many Muslims were sure. up in arms about this. There were public speakers or, or Muslim scholars who were upset about this. And people were calling for the, the, the death of anybody who draws a picture of Muhammad. And most sure. of the media was scared because there were death threats coming in. Why? Why do people have this mentality if, if Islam is supposed to be so good for society? Yeah, as I said, from a, even from a scholarly point of view, this is ridiculous vigilante violence. I Islam completely condemns all of this kind of Charlie Hebdo massacres and all these things which are taking place. So, uh, of course, look, look, the problem, which what you're saying, what, there are so many bad examples of atheists as well, as I've shown you in China, well, really which you don't want to talk about. For Islam. You got Pol Pot, 
You've got you've got Lenin. You've got many horrible, evil, ugly atheists in this world too. So if you want to just pick on the Muslim ugly people, that that's hypocrisy because sixty-five percent think it's okay to kill people who've left the religion. Well, I've not I've never seen that study, and also I also I will also show you. No, no, okay. I've, I've not only have I not seen that, but I will also tell you that all, almost all the Muslims will agree with what I have said that Islam offers a great deal of leniency towards apostates. They'll all agree that that we have no business killing apostates. Okay, because there are apostates everywhere. You don't see them dropping like flies. Of course not. The vast majority of Muslims agree it is not our job to kill any apostates. We do Would, not engage in vigilante violence. Could okay? you agree that removing or rewriting section 489 and the others from the Quran would be a good step? No, the 489 is what the whole world should be embracing. I mean, that's a wonderful spot check on the battlefield. It specifically says that we give you, if they're not offering you peace, we give you no authority against them. For And, you know, what is really this 489 to 91, this is one of the evidences that this is a, a book from God, because that type of advanced thinking did not exist 1,400 years ago I'm, to I'm provide sorry, a spot I don't check. Consider, I don't consider that to be advanced thinking. I do. I, I think really that it's a, I think it it's clearly defines what an innocent <laughs> civilian is. It clearly, if a person who wants to engage in wanton killing and who wants to kill people just because they're disbelievers or something like that? No, they would never. They I'm would never author a 491 spot check and go into detail and say, "Look, if they're not offering you peace, if they're not restraining their hands, okay, then you can kill them." All right, a, a madman or a is, type of sadistic killer would never go into this type of detail. That is so, a license to kill, and for yeah. for for an infraction that is not necessarily okay. killing. Okay, and well, that I have a I, problem with because yeah, that, yeah. that is an unequal footing. It does not fit. We, we already covered okay. this earlier. Though. We already covered it. Okay, yeah. well, I think we're ready to go to question and answers, right? Yeah, you okay. got it. Yeah. And yeah. want to say, let, folks, let, we... let's proceed with a smile first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you betcha. Thank you, Nadir. <laughs> and want to let you know, folks, we are absolutely pumped for the Modern Day Debate DebateCon conference that I had mentioned earlier in the stream. One of the debates of which is at the bottom right of your screen. Tickets are going on sale during this stream. So keep an eye on the live chat. We will be putting a link for the ticket if you want to come and watch it in person in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be amazing. And we are excited to get to meet you if you happen to make it in person. And so keep an eye out in the live chat as that'll be out in just a moment. But I'm going to jump into the Q&A first. Thanks for your questions, folks. We've got a lot of them. I'm going to try to move fast. And so thanks so much. From Mango T says, Nadir, none is better. Humanity is in a state of illusion whereby people have misinterpreted the perception of reality to succeed with reality. Humans must ignore all thoughts and abide by natural laws. I hope you know what that means. I don't know what that means. Well, you know, all of this is opinions. You know, people can have their opinions, but what the argument which I've presented tonight, what when we talk about what's good for humanity, I have presented five facts which is based upon science, which is based upon documented research. And so I think what's happening is, you know, I, I can't change people's opinions. And I think that is something I would like for that uh, person to consider. You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from Quick Lemon says for Nadir, if you had to choose, 
I think it's a sincere question, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> it's not meant to troll. I think that they, I mean, but you, you can, you can, some maybe, maybe would say it's a softball. They say for Nadir, if you had to choose between a nine-year-old Muslim girl or a 25-year-old atheist girl to marry, who would you choose? Oh, 25-year-old atheist. Simple. Next up, Mango Tea. <laughs> it says Nadir as an, I'm just teasing. Nadir as an ex-Muslim, I see the effects of Islam and particularly the capacity of Islam has to affect one's behavior and motivation towards life. Mm -hmm. Is it true Islam makes you lethargic? Is Islam feminine? Well, you know, the problem is, I think a lot of these people, they claim, well, I've seen what Islam brings. Uh, what it really is, they've been influenced by this anti-Islamic propaganda. And for that person, I have already refuted him with facts. And, and, and so he needs to confront uh, the facts which I have presented to him. Like, for example, I've shown that Muslims have the highest level of satisfaction of life satisfaction uh, that far and the feeling of oneness that trumps Christians, Buddhists, and yogis. I have refuted that person, which he's ignoring all which I'm presenting. I have also shown that they are the number one people in terms of giving to charity, the most likely to volunteer. So when people say Islam uh, uh, influences people in a bad way, that's simply not what the facts support. You got I'd it. Say it influences, sorry, I'd like, just like to quickly follow up. I, I'd say it influences in good and bad ways. And I have big complaints about the bad ways. The one, another example would be circumcision, which is designed to uh, reduce the pleasure sensations. And uh, under Islam, there are Muslims who are circumcising little girls. And that, to me, is a human rights violation. I know uh, Nadir probably wants to follow up something on that. Go ahead. I object to that uh, practice as well. Yeah. Well, I, think I did. Very, yes. very bad. That's half yeah. the population affected by that of the Muslim demographic. Yeah, and circumcision is not something condemned by the by the medical and scientific community. You can have your personal opinions about it, uh, but I don't think that's something which, from from a scientific point of view, is considered uh, bad. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question. Mango T says, <clears throat> or actually Sunflower says, Randolph, have you read The Lord of the Flies by William Golding? Do you think modern humans would naturally develop empathetic and civil societies if put in similar situations? Sorry, what, what was the name of the book? I coughed and didn't miss, I missed the name of it. The Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Okay, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a long, long time ago. I'd have to reread it. It's uh, it, it, it's a very well written book, though, um, and they they do highlight a lot of uh, important things about humanity there. Um, I, I think uh, I'm not able to answer that one, unfortunately. Sorry, I'll have to reread it first. No problem. Mango T says, Nadir, is it true Islam is a feminine religion? Islam promotes women excessively. I see Islamic families and how the wife would have dominion over the husband. The boys end up becoming feminized. Uh, I don't think there's any facts to support that. No. You got it. Grimlock says, happiness is not a measurement of truth. Is living a lie better just because it makes you happier? Uh, I, I think that they're uh, thinking that you're trying to say that because Islam makes you happy, that it's true. They say, what of the people believe? I think they're Islam trying to say false. Do you think they'd be happier living a lie? Yeah. So that's a that's that's a consequence fallacy. That something is true just because the consequences uh, are good. 
And, and, and so tonight's debate is not why Islam is true. If that was a debate topic, I would have presented the scientific and prophetic evidence to support why Muhammad is a true prophet. Now, what I've presented to you, the impact Islam has upon mankind, that is part of the evidence, but that is not the evidence alone, uh, which, we would, we, which we would state the prophethood of Muhammad. In fact, I would very much like to invite Richard that if he gets an opportunity, I would like for you to par uh, participate in the scientific, uh, why in the debate regarding why the Quran is a scientific miracle. And uh, you mean me, Randolph. I'm sorry, what did I call you? Richard. I'm sorry, Randolph. Oh, I, I, I just want to make sure you're actually yeah. you're asking me. It's, uh, yeah. it, it happens all the time. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's okay. But yeah, I'd like for you to participate in that debate and look at the scientific evidences for Islam. You've seen one about how Islam, uh, the, sure. you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, Muslim women who give birth to fetal alcohol, um, 50 times less likely to give birth to a fetal alcohol child. If we do yeah. a debate on that, I would like to uh, team up with somebody, and you can yeah. too. So it could be a two, two against two, yeah, uh, two fine. with two. Yeah, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. You got it, Dan. Thank you very much for your question. What the legend Riv says: All countries had a religious moral system taught by their ancestors. They also last way longer than atheist countries. An original teacher is proven. Well, the interesting thing about religions is that they require maintenance because there's a whole belief system. And so there needs to be reassurances. There needs to be uh, uh, maintenance of the foundations and society. And so a society that is uh, religious centric will have to uh, make sure they put things in place to maintain that and ensure that the religion is, it continues to thrive. So um, because there's different rules and things that people can veer off from with atheism, there's nothing that you can veer off from other than joining a religion and that's it. And that you're not really veering off. That's just, you're not restricted in any way. So yeah, I can see that when there's a system put in place of ongoing maintenance, that indeed it makes sense that something like that would last longer. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for this question coming in from Mark Reeds as Nadir. The study concluded that, quote, Muslims were most likely to believe that they were connected to something larger than themselves, unquote. Why is this better for humankind? Why are you misrepresenting it? Uh, I, I don't think he has a proper understanding of the study, which I quoted. Uh, I actually quoted many. Um, and so I think he needs to basically go back and look at my reference, read it carefully, uh, and I don't think, and I think that'll answer his question. Mark Reed also says, Nadir, does Anne Nisa 34 say that if your wife refuses to obey, then you may beat them? How is this good for humankind? Yeah, so many people have misinterpreted this verse to mean that this refers to domestic violence. But if you look at other verses in the Quran, it, it, it talks about what you know, what this so-called beating is. And that is basically with a bundle of grass. And I believe that's chapter 38, verse 51. Let me look it up for you. So uh, it is not in any way to be interpreted in terms of domestic violence. Actually, domestic violence is, is clearly condemned in Islam. The concept of beating a spouse when obviously there's not consent for the beating, uh, it's not a BDSM scenario, for example, um, to me is abhorrent. So I, I, that's one of the things that I object to. Go ahead, Nadir, I'm sure, because it's your question, you probably want to respond yeah. to that too. Well, if we're talking about with a bundle of grass, okay, uh, I don't consider that to be quite abhorrent as you were saying. But, uh, but for sure, we all agree that 
it's, it's undeniable that domestic violence is clearly condemned in Islam. There's no doubt about it. You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from Benjamin. Is it Iota? Iota says that's not exactly what it says. Read the Arabic. Okay, we can read the Arabic. What what ex- that, what exactly is the point here? If they didn't mention where they were referring to, though, so that was earlier in the debate. I remember that, but I, I don't know. Yeah. So Benjamin, you'd have to let me know what passage you were referring to. But Mango T says, Nadir, charity is stupid. When you give too much, everybody ends up being poor. Well, <laughs> I don't think I need to respond to that. I, I, Islam certainly doesn't tell people to go overboard like that. Uh, respond with humor. That's yeah. what I suggest. Yeah. Nagnuni says, question for Nadir, is Islamic slavery good or bad for humankind? And would you be my slave under Islamic rules? Yeah, so basically uh, the, the issue on sla- one of the biggest misconceptions is that people think Islam endorses slavery. No, it does not. Islam condemns slavery. And what I mean by that is Judeo-Christian slavery. The slavery which you are all familiar with is Judeo-Christian slavery, which has brutalized and brought so much misery and suffering to the world. And that's actually endorsed by the Bible. But Islam brings a very different version of slavery, one in which all of the harshness, all of the problems which we see in slavery is systematically removed. So that is the only version of slavery which it endorses. For example, it it condemns beating a slave. It tells people that you should educate your slave and then set him free. And then it says, if you, whatever clothes you wear, the slave master wears, your slave has to wear the same clothes. It says he will eat the same food you eat. So if you're eating lobster and shrimp or lobster and steak, guess what your slave is eating? Lobster and steak. And you never overwork him. So if he's working out there in the hard field, it says if you overwork him, you better go out there and help him. So all of the miseries and suffering and problems that are with slavery, Muhammad has removed all of them, and it has won the recognition of the academic community as well. And I hope one day we can have a debate on that on slavery in Islam and Christianity, because once again, that will prove that Islam is, 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 is a true religion. I just have to push back on that, because my understanding is that slavery is okay according to Sharia, and Islam never abolished it, not in the Quran or the Hadiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yemen still has grandfathered slavery laws. Uh, Saudi Arabia abolished it, but then they diverted from things a little bit and added a migrant workers law called the Kafala. I'm not probably not saying right. Guaranteed. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Um, Requires a sponsor to take control of the person's rights. The sponsor holds their passport and other documents that would allow them to get out of the country if they wanted to leave. And the whole practice effectively amounts to indentured servitude. So Muhammad also owns slaves and that's how that's justified. That's my understanding. Okay, and as I have said, it, Islam completely redefined what slavery is. In terms of kafala and all those practical examples that you are presenting, Islam is in condemnation with every version of slavery except what is endorsed in our scriptures. And what I have presented to you is something so good that it can be argued it's actually better than freedom. Because in freedom, you don't get the right to, edu- to be educated. In s- Islamic slavery... Prophet Muhammad said the one who educates his slave girl and then frees her, he will get a double reward. So when we talk about Islam and slavery, we must say in accordance with what is written in our scripture, not that kafala stuff. 
because Islam, because Islam does not recognize any version of slavery other than what's in its books. And when we look at that, it is a very merciful, tolerant version of slavery. Slavery is not a gift. Uh, one last response, Nadir. Yeah. Well, okay. So here, so let's 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 talk about that. Why was there even? Why didn't it just come out and abolish slavery? Well, it yeah, is to good a, question. Yeah. Yeah, that is a question a lot of people ask, and there's a very simple answer, and that is to avert the humanitarian catastrophe, which will ensue shortly after, as we have seen all throughout the Western world. Let me just give you one example in Brazil. They abruptly ended slavery without any kind of, uh, how should you can say, infrastructure to receive all those millions of free slaves. What happened? They built their homes into the, into the mountaintops of these places called the favelas. The favelas are now ridden with crime and violence, cyclical crime, cyclical violence. In one year alone, 64,000 people were murdered in these favelas. This is what happens when there is a sudden release of men coming from slavery into freedom without any infrastructure to receive them. Islam puts the right infrastructure so that when they, when they leave, they're leaving towards something. You go to this one coming in from, do appreciate it. Grimlock says, wonderful. If the people you are attempting to conquer defend themselves, then you can kill them. Perfect logic. No moral atrocities there. I think they're being sarcastic. Uh, that does speak to part of my objection to uh, 489 through 91. Mm -hmm. And I think Nadir probably has some feedback to that as well, since it sounds like a comment for both of us. Yeah, so basically, first of all, uh, Islam never teaches to attack peaceful people, okay? Because remember the text said, if they're not offering you peace, nor restraining their hands. So, so it's, it, since these are people who are offering you peace, there in no way can you attack them. And so, in fact, I will give you an example of one of the caravan, uh, caravan raids, and I'll give that as, as, as an example. They're, they're basically, the, uh, the Meccan Arabs, they've attacked the Muslims in, in, in many ways. And so in retaliation, they decided to basically attack their caravans. So they basically came out to, in fact, let me, let me share my, my, my desktop over here, because that will, so I can show you the reference which I'm, which I'm referring to here. Uh, this is inside Sirah Ibn Ishaq. And so here we see the 491 spot check being put into, into action here, interpreted in light of how Muhammad interpreted. So this is from Sirah Ibn Ishaq. So it says over here um, that I will war against them that war against you, and I'll be at peace with those who are at peace with you. But that's not the reference I actually wanted to give you. Uh, this is a reference right over here. Okay. It says over here that, that basically when Muhammad set out to attack a group of, in retaliation for being attacked, by a group of idol worshippers. It says over here that um, this is from this is from the book Sirah Ibn Ishaq. It says that uh, they sent somebody to go make peace with Muhammad. Look what Muhammad's response was: we'll just go and attack and kill them. <laughs> it says he returned to Medina without meeting war and remained there for the rest of suffer. So when people, this is the 491 spot check in action here. When people don't want to fight, they say, "Hey, listen, let's have some peace. We don't want to be involved in this." What does the text say? He returned to Medina without meeting war. So that's why we say Islam is a religion of peace. Go ahead. 
You mean me or Randolph? Whoever. Thank you very much for your question. Benjamin Iota says, stop reading these modern translations. Read Arabic, Nadir. And then says again, read the Arabic. <laughs> stop letting him get away with that. I think him is supposed to be Randolph. I don't know. What's supposed uh, Yeah, okay, so I guess that's, I, I'll answer that. Um, so the problem here is when these uh, Islam bashers get refuted, uh, they'll say, oh, but you don't know the Arabic. You don't know the Arabic, you know? And, and I do want to debate this in Arabic. I'm ready to. We can look at the Arabic text. And I don't think it's going to say anything different. I think it's going to actually further enforce all my arguments. The Randolph... I, I, think that's what the, I think that's what yeah. they're saying. I interpreted yeah. it that they were saying like, Nadir, pull out the big guns. You read it in Arabic. <laughs> Bring them. Where are these big guns? If there are some Arabs who want to debate this in Arabic, we could do that. You now, can look at the text in Arabic. I will say this is where yeah. uh, Islam does have an advantage over Christianity is that the Arabic texts are available. Mm -hmm. um, whereas my understanding with Christianity, the original texts are not available. There's there's a lot of ideas on what should be the original text, but the very original ones uh, apparently aren't available. Um, as far as saying uh, during a debate, we're debating in English here. So uh, mm -hmm. Nadir and I are using English references and things like that. It all makes sense because that's the way it's going. This is the convention being used. Um, if, uh, and I would say that if a religion can't be properly converted to a different language, then there's a serious problem with yeah. how that's being practiced. And, and Nadir's agreeing with me on this. I'm not surprised. Um, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, this, the tactic of saying go to the original texts sounds like a little bit of a cop-out to me. It always has. And it, it's kind of a diversion um, because... You know, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to learn Arabic. I don't know Arabic. How it's a wild goose chase. Even if we yeah. went to the Arabic, yeah. the outcome will not be any different. Yeah, wild goose yeah. chase. There we go. Thank you. And uh, James, please check the private chat. You got it. One moment. This one coming in from Sunflower says, Nadir, do you condemn the perpetrators of the Charlie Hebdo massacre? Absolutely. These are criminals. These are vigilantes. These are people who have nothing to do with Islam or, or Islamic law. Not just me, but almost all the Islamic scholars, at least the ones I've seen, have completely condemned that. You got it. And this one coming in from Mango T says, Islam does make you happy if you are living in a civilized society, but true happiness comes from being in nature and aligning yourself with reality. How do you like them apples in a deer? Well, that's that may be one way for a lot of people to to get happiness. But but what I wanted to sh kind of demonstrate is is that when we talk about how Islam uh, you know, impacts and and uh, humanity for the better, you know, it has actually been documented and has been researched, and not just you know in terms of happen also having lowering the rate of fetal alcohol children down to 50 times less likely. So there's many good things about which, which about Islam, which I think that person should consider. You got it. Yeah, I, I, I uh, objected to the prohibition argument there because if you prohibit something, a substance, then of course there's going to be a lot less abuse of it, a lot less misuse of it, because there's going to be less of it available. So I, I do think that's a bit of a misnomer on mid-year's part. Uh, and I just want to say I, I found it um, uh, wonderful that uh, James picked apples earlier. <laughs> but Nadir, you probably have something to say to what I just said. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's, there is really no Islamic country which has successfully or in any way prohibits alcohol. You can get beer and wine in every yeah. Islamic country. Okay, so this is an impact. There, there's something great about Islam which convinces the individual to stay away from these drinks. And I think that is that is the impact it's having upon people, which has really made a, a positive impact on, on society. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Ozian says 491. I assume, Surah, but I don't know. So yeah. you can tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you, mm-hmm. you just say 491? What we were talking about earlier, I think. Four, four, nine, yeah, 491, yeah. says, if someone hits you, can you kill them? If someone hits you, can you kill them? No, of course not. Well, you know, four, the forty ninety one, the four ninety one spot check, is a spot check which was done on the battlefield. This is not something like, for example, me and you just walking down the street. Okay, so uh, I, that, that the context has to be put into into place. And again, you know, I've shown you from Sirah Ibn Ishaq that even when on the battlefield, when the enemy doesn't want to fight. What did Muhammad do? He returned back to Medina. Because the main thrust here in the Quran, in the Hadith, and the Sirah, for people who are peaceful, there's no war to be made against them. We are friends with all peaceful people. You got it, Ann. My answer to that, my answer to that is yes, 491 basically says that. It's what I've been arguing. Um, so that is how it looks. Otherwise, it would be saying if they're trying to kill you, you can kill them. It's not saying that. So it is, that's what I called the three annoyances, the first three examples. Um, And to limit the scope to the battlefield, I think um, is relevant because justice should be applicable everywhere, including in in war. Um, That's why we have uh, uh, war treaties and things like that and Mm -hmm. uh, rules about how to treat people who are prisoners of war and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that um, the, justice is not made an exception to anywhere Um, because if it is then it falls apart you got it and thank you very much for your question coming in from sunflower says nadir do you condemn oh we got that one sorry azian says (laughs) if 60 year old or older alcohol is good for you nadir says science no actually the position of science uh regarding alcohol is that true there is some good in it but the harm far outweighs any good in alcohol so if you're thinking well okay i'm just going to drink some alcohol for my heart's sake or something like that uh this is unscientific uh in fact now the latest research actually shows that alcohol causes uh, brain damage so uh no there's uh, the bad outweighs any good of alcohol i can think of a counter real quick um Back in the times before we had anesthetic, people would get drunk before getting a tooth extracted because it would be a lot less painful. I think most of those people would argue that alcohol is a very good thing in those circumstances. <laughs> you yeah, got I, it, and yeah. Thank you very much. This one coming in. Actually, I want to give you the last word on that one, is, uh, Nadir, given that uh, yes, it was for yeah, you. please. Yeah. So now if we're talking about for medicinal uses. Um, let's say it's been really proven. Uh, to be true, then Islam is not against using pork byproducts or alcohol in medicine. In fact, I used alcoholic uh, mouthwash when I got my teeth cleaned. That was a prescription mouthwash. I had to use that alcohol in it. So if it's something which is from legitimate purposes, then Islam definitely allows that. You got it. And thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Mark Reed says, Nadir, why do you think it is fair to show quote unquote daily mail news articles then demand peer-reviewed papers they aren't peer-reviewed papers either at daily mail 
I just want to point out before you start, Nadir, I did mention it was a daily news article, and I said that was okay uh, for the purposes of this debate. But go ahead, Nadir. Yeah, they were actually quoting a study. Uh, I could I could very easily link straight to the study, but the Daily Mail article, which is pretty reputable, uh, you know, they do pretty reputable journalism and, and they're pretty you know world renowned. I thought that was good to provide the summary, the headline of the research. But if you look at the reference, which I've actually presented, and you look at that article, you will see the the peer reviewed study to be a LinkedIn there, and I can I can present that to you if you like. You got it. And want to mention, folks, we just put out the link to grab tickets for the first ever modern day debate, DebateCon Conference in Dallas on January 15th. It's linked at the top of the chat, folks. It is going to be a blast. And we hope to see you there as we have early bird tickets right now. And man, it is a deal for sure, folks. It is significantly cheaper if you sign up, grab a ticket now and want to let you know. This is so important, folks. 100%. I want to emphasize this because some people are like, oh, James, uh, you know, oh, you're selling tickets, eh? Are you looking to raise some funds for your own vacation? No, 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 no. 100% of the funds that come in through the tickets as well as through the crowdfund are going to be devoted to debate con, whether it be this conference or if we happen to have a surplus. We don't know. We're hoping we just break even. But if we have a surplus, 100% of that surplus and funds will be used for the next conference. So in other words, booking flights for speakers, covering their hotel nights, covering the venue costs, because it does cost a lot to do this kind of in-person event. And so, like I said, 100% of it is going back into the conference. None of it is going into my pocket. And so if you buy a ticket, you can know that it's going strictly to DebateCon happening. So with that, Jumping back in for the next question. Thank you very much. Ozian says, there is no hell. There is no eternal punishment. Don't be afraid of death. Please stop apostasy laws and allow atheists to speak openly against God. I have a feeling that's for you, Nadir. Well, as the atheists themselves in China and other places who are killing apostates, who are persecuting apostates, so this advice should first go to them. Hindus are actually the most... Uh, people who actually persecute apostates, there's apostasy laws, uh, which are called anti-conversion laws, which are nothing more than apostasy, apostasy laws veiled. It's it's uh, the Christ, Orthodox Christ, Church in Russia, which also persecutes apostates. So we don't need to hear this lecture. I think from the rest of the world, they need to handle it. And also there's apostasy laws unwritten apostasy laws from, from the Orthodox Jewish community for when they leave their religion. So this is certainly not an only Muslim phenomenon. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for this question. Do appreciate it. Mark Reed says, actually, there was Ozian that said, Gotcha. So sorry. It is so, so hard. No problem. Okay. No Elusive Vipers says if peer reviewed studies showed that Mormonism provided better outcomes in all of the metrics you've mentioned, would you convert from Islam, Nadir? That's a, yeah, this is, goes back to the consequence fallacy. Uh, just because the consequences are good, therefore it is true. But that's not my argument tonight. I'm not here to debate is Islam true? This is, of course, can be part of it. I mean, when you look at the five facts which I have raised tonight of how Islam impacts hum humanity, none of that was actually denied. None of that was refuted. 
And on my challenge is, well, what religion, what belief out there that can offer me all what Islam can offer? And I don't think you'll be able to find one like that. So, um, but what makes Islam true is the scientific miracles of it, the prophetic evidence, as well as the great consequences that we see. So there's many lines of reasoning and evidences for it, which makes Islam true. You got it. There's one coming in from Ozian Strikes Again. I have friends in Muslim countries who are terrified of their families killing them for being atheist. Muslim countries are horrible to atheists. Well, that happens all, all over the world. Look, in India, I've, I've already shown you that these bandit bands of radical fundamentalist Hindus who are trying to enforce a, a very extreme version of Hinduism are also threatening apostates. It's happening in Russia. It's happening even in America. They're apostates from wherever they are, from whatever walk of life, they're going to face problems. And I've, I've shown you the documentation of that. Again, it is a, this is a false... Uh, the false idea that apostasy is only a Muslim problem. No, it's not. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Pseudo Nim says, Nadir, can you or Randolph read chapter 16, verse 67 of the Quran? Quote, from the grapevine, behold, this drink is for the wise, unquote. Mm -hmm. Is alcohol forbidden, though endorsed? No, absolutely not. So basically, of course, Islam does mention that there is some good in alcohol, but the evil of it outweighs the good. So like I said, what what you need to do, you need to look at the peer-reviewed studies, which I've shown you, and it states very clearly in there, it is because of their Islamic faith, which has led to these great results, which is 50 times less likely to have a fetal alcohol child. But not only that, but we also see Islam is helping in preventing crime because 40% of the crime is alcohol induced. So these are just some of the great impacts Islam has on, on humanity. This one from Sunflower says, Nadir, thoughts on the disproportionate level of genetic disorders due to reproduction between cousins in Islam. Is that condoned in the Quran? So basically when it, when it comes to cousins, uh, there's no statement in the Quran, which actually tells people go and marry your cousin. The Quran is silent on that. In the Hadith, there is an incident where Muhammad married his cousin. So people began to interpret it that you should go, that we should go marry our cousin. So the problem, first of all, is in the interpretation. But what Muhammad made it very clear, on, what, on, on the criteria to get married. Now I'll quote for you a hadith over here, um, which is uh, which I think should clarify the matter on who you should marry. Um, and this is the problem. People are not following the guidance of Islam. So, oops, let me, let me go over here. Well, first of all, I also want to back up. Nowhere does it say science has not taken the position that you cannot marry your cousin. Rather, it really is the frequency. So this is so, actually actually yeah. incest does uh, lead. Okay, I'll, to I'll show you the I'll show you the study. problems. Yeah. So basically, a woman is to be married for four reasons: for her property, her status, her beauty, and it goes on. So try to get the one who is religious, not your cousin. Look for the religious person, and and, and again, it talks about her good character. So may your hands be besmirched with dust. So it actually gives a threat 
for the people who try to look for any other reason to marry. So in the next hadith, it, it actually states that um, marry, marry them for, for the religion, a black slave, a black slave woman with piercings who is religious is far better. So if people follow these, the, the, the divine, the guidance from Prophet Muhammad, there wouldn't be any problems of, of, of cousin marriages. Why, why is a black slave woman better? I'm curious why, why do they? If she's religious, because people were thinking back then, well, okay, well, she's a slave woman, but my, but this person is much better because she's not a slave. So say, hey, listen, if she's religious, she's going to be much better than anybody who you can even. What, what does uh, it matter yeah. that she's black though? Why, why do they specify that? Well, we, we can debate that at a later time. I'm, not asking, I'm just yeah. wondering why they specify that, why they get that specific. Well, because some people might have a notion in their head, oh, but wait a second, she's a slave, black woman, therefore, well, but she's religious, this person is better than that. Muhammad is saying no, even if she's a black slave woman of what they're thinking, and she's religious, she's going to be much better based upon her religious also, uh, Muhammad's conviction. pushing back against racism is what you're saying. Absolutely. In fact, oh. there's a hadith on that, which states that no Arab or non-Arab is better or a black person is better. It's on piety. Okay. Um, yeah. that's, I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, James, the previous question, they were asking us to read out 1660. Is that right? 16. Uh, let me see. I scrolled up already. 59. Oh, 59. Okay, no, I see 60 there. <laughs> so sorry. Verse 67. Okay, that I'm sure. 1667. Oh, I'm not able to find that. No worries then. This one coming in from Not Mod Bruce Wayne says, Why do the Hadiths prescribe the death penalty for apostates, though, Nadir? Yeah, so the proper, the right position on apostasy is, of course, in the Quran, first of all, there's nothing in the Quran which says that the person who is apostate should be killed. When we look at the Hadiths, we'll see Muhammad never killed any apostates, and he actually prevented and forbade people to do that. People apostated right in front of him. And, uh, in fact, let me see if I can give you a reference on that real quick over here, uh, if I can find it. Uh, and, and so, yes, there is a Hadith where Muhammad actually did say, okay, for the people who are apostates, uh, they should that they should be killed. However, what people are forgetting is that there's a great deal of leniency towards that. In fact, I'm going to go and quote for you Sirah Ibn Ishaq on that. Uh, let me share my desktop here real quick. And show that Islam has a great deal of flexibility and leniency towards the apostates. So basically inside this, uh, this story over here, uh, there's a person who criticized Muhammad. And he says, be just. And so, of course, any criticism of Muhammad is an act of apostasy in Islamic Sharia law. So then the text basically said, the person behind said, let me kill him. But Muhammad said, no, don't kill him. He said, in fact, the people from his loins, the, the, he's going to, uh, are going to basically apostate as well. And he'll be the, he'll be the reason for multiple apostasies and people leaving the religion. In fact, let me let me read for you very quick rather than paraphrasing. It says, no, leave him alone, for he will have a following that will go so deeply into religion that they will come out of it as an arrow come out of the target. And so you got to take it all within context. Is there leniency towards apostates being killed? Absolutely. And this is the example which I'm showing you. Go ahead. 
You got it, and thank you very much for this question coming in from Ozzy and says, Yes, Hinduism is no better than Islam. Good point. And also says, The 13 countries which maintain the death penalty for blasphemy or apostasy are Afghanistan, Brunei, Iran, Malaysia, Maldives, I'm going to mispronounce some of these, Mauritania, Nigeria, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, United Arab Emirates, and Yemen. That's, that's, that's categorically false. There are apostasy laws in India. The anti-conversion laws in India are anti-apostasy laws. There are apostasy laws, but which Vladimir Putin uh, actually instilled in Russia, where you cannot leave the Russian Orthodox Church for a Billy Graham version of Christianity or Jehovah Witness. You cannot do that. Several Jehovah Witnesses have been murdered uh, in Russia. And of course, there are apostasy laws in China. Uh, these are all unwritten laws, but they're all being practiced. So to say that only in the Islamic world you have apostasy laws, uh-uh, that is categorically false. You got it. This one coming in from You Stabbed Me With a Fork says, Atheism does not believe in, quote, do whatever you want. Atheism has no particular moral system, only as a byproduct of atheism being vague. What's happening in China has nothing to do with atheism itself. I agree. This is correct. Atheism isn't a do-what-you-like thing. It just happens to be that people are free, and so as an atheist, we don't have restrictions from a, re a religious deity. What we do have, though, are local laws in our countries that we still need to conform to, just like religious people have to. Well, no, the, the point which I was making, of course, in atheism, moral values are all relative. There actually are none. No, it's all just no, a figment no, no, of your religion. Well, let, me, let me finish my point. No, but, but I didn't want to get into that debate, Randolph. I'm just giving you... No, no, no. We, we I just can avoid that back. debate. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. But what the point why I raised up China is because if people say, okay, well, look at the Charlie Hebdo massacres. Look at the people throwing acid in people's face. I say, listen, we got bad apples. Atheists have bad apples, too. And so... Uh, Atheists need to consider that before they criticize Islam. You got it. And thank you very much for your was, question. Sorry, I just was pushing back a little bit on this, uh, uh, what uh, Nadir was saying about uh, atheism being uh, relative morals. Well, actually, it's it's up to each individual atheist to decide uh, morality for themselves. It may be relative for some. It may be something else for somebody else. So there, there's just no restriction under atheism on that. You got it, and thank you very much for your question coming in from Benjamin Iota. It says, in Saudi Arabia, execution of, of apostates is taught as wahib, meaning Muslims are to carry out the punishment. It's not optional. Nadir is lying. Well, no, I think that person is lying. I don't think that person knows what he's talking about. I have already uh, given a citation where Muhammad let this person go. He said, leave him alone. So now who's a liar? Okay, now I've quoted you from Syria Ibn Asak, and actually I have many references. Muhammad himself never killed any apostates. And we, I've shown you, the Prophet actually said, from his loins, you will find many people who are going to leave Islam. And Muhammad was okay with that. Okay, so there's definitely his leniency uh, and mercy towards apostates as well in Islam. And no scholar on Islam will ever deny that. Although Nadir disagrees with me, I did point out that 489 does justify killing of people who don't believe. Well, we already went through 489. I'm yeah, go through I know. Again. Yeah. 
You got it in. Thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Benjamin Iota Strikes Again says, And the regimes who carry out the punishments are ran by believers. So Mormons are, they say, Momans are executing apostates. I think that it was maybe an autocorrect. Maybe it was meant to be Muslims. Uh, Stop running from the immorality of Islam, Nadir. I don't think I'm running from anything. Everything I have presented, I'm uh, almost everything. It has a reference either in Quran, in the Hadith, or I'm bringing something from Islam, but uh, or, or I'm sorry, from science. So I don't think I'm running from anything. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for this one coming in from Ozian. Says great point. U.S. Muslims are more moral than those 13 countries that I mentioned before, such as Yemen, Saudi Arabia, etc. Mm-hmm. Reform the Middle Eastern ones now, Nadir. You go reform China, go reform India, go reform Russia, go reform all the other countries. Go reform yourself first. And of course, we will definitely reform our, but to present us as a problematic people, uh uh-uh. No, we're not. That problem is all around. 65% think it's okay to, uh, that apostasy should be executed. Well, 49% of evangelical Christians think Islam should not even be practiced and and, and would outlaw it. So, Oh, I agree uh, that's bad. I agree that's bad. And I also think that uh, the 65%. Well, I have not seen that 65% which you have presented. So you're just quoting things which we have not even looked at. So. This one from Benjamin Iota says, this guy Nadir is just like the rest of them. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no, I'm it the worst. Bad already. No, so, I'm the worst out of all of them. You've Don't been typecast. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, you made it. It does yeah. sound quite brutal. They say, can't admit the flaws in the religion. It's sad. And they mm-hmm. also say, I might as well three, because they sent three in a row. They said, Muhammad is the number is the one who gave the command to kill apostates and tell Nadir to stop uh, obfuscating. Read and well, I'll give you this is another verse they want to go to. So I'll give you a chance to respond to these first two, Nadir, so mm-hmm. I don't dogpile you with questions. Well, well, the first. Oh, one, oh, the you know, first one. Yeah. Muhammad so that is, is a, that has already been addressed. Um, you know, there's many. Muhammad himself never killed any apostates. Uh, again, we're so the, basically the problem is they are being refuted, and and they're not addressing the arguments which are refuting them. They're just repeating the original refuted argument. And I've also shown you that from the uh, there was a group of people who criticized Muhammad, and they were and they asked, "Can I please kill that person?" But Muhammad said, "No." Don't do that. So there's many references which I've presented which have already substantiated my claims. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Benjamin Iota strikes again saying, tell him you're to stop obfuscating. Read Anne Nasai 4059 or 4059. Surah Nasai 4059. You want me to read that over here? Yes. Okay, okay. let me do that really quick. All right. They politely request. Or if you want me to read it and you can respond, I'd be happy to do that. Okay, it says over here, uh, certainly the hour is bound to come. There's no doubt. Uh, 40, this is for, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, but most people do not believe. I'm not sure what the point here is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type this in just to be sure I'm on the same page. <clears throat> Oh, and when I type it in, and I'm not, because <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so you're right, 14th uh, chapter. All I know is this. When I type in 
40, uh, you know, uh, that what they requested. They, it says, quote, the messenger of Allah said, quote, whoever changes his religion, kill him. Mm -hmm. So let me, yeah, as I said, these are points which have already been responded and they need to basically listen to the refutation. Uh, and so basically, I also wanted to quote from the Quran, you know, just to go back to Randall's point that somehow non-believers are to be killed or something like that. Uh, based upon their religion. There's no such teaching like that. In fact, the Quran condemns it. It says, and the truth is from your Lord. Whoever decides, let him believe. And whoever decides, let him disbelieve. Let him disbelieve. This is chapter 18, verse 29. Muhammad never killed anybody on account of his religion. That's a historical fact. Islam has already won the recognition of many peer-reviewed journals in its tolerance to people of other religions. So that is why, Randolph, the, your interpretation of, of chapter 4, verse 89 is, for, is erroneous. The Quran makes it clear, let them disbelieve. In chapter 2, verse 256, it says there is no compulsion in religion. Let there be no force in religion. So and like I said, this is something which we uh, academics have already commented on this and they have recognized Islam for its tolerance uh, of, of different religions. You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from Madam says, if you leave Islam, you won't be killed unless you cause rebellion and commit treason in the U S the punishment for treason is death. Mm -hmm. uh, you dragging local laws into it. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Next up, Benjamin Iota says, Quran is not limited to the context of the battlefield. It's for all times. Tell him to stop obfuscating. Okay, stop obfuscating on chapter 18, verse 29. I'll read it again for you. The truth is from your Lord. So whoever decides, let him believe. And whoever decides, then let him disbelieve. There you go. So this shows there is no forcing in religion. So they've got to start dealing with these arguments. You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from SJ Thomason, longtime viewer. I don't know, SJ, are you still up? This is late for Florida time. Says Nadir. I've been on your show a few times. Yeah. <laughs> juicy. It says, Nadir, how many Jews or and or Christians did Muhammad have slaughtered? How do you compare him with Jesus who said those who live by the sword and die that way? Uh, no, so basically, I, mean, I don't want to get into Christianity and the violence in Christianity. Of course, we've seen inside, both inside the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are clear passages to kill non-believers. In fact, the difference between the Quran and the Bible is that if you look inside 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, it specifically says to kill babies, women, and children. So how can you compare that with anything in the Quran? I mean, it literally says to kill babies in chapter, I'm sorry, inside 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. You will never read any of that in the Quran. The Quran shows tolerance to all, to people of all religions. As I have shown you, it's only the people who are not peaceful who are the people who are fought. That was clearly established in the Quran and in the Hadith and even in the Sirah. You and got I, it. I just wanted just one point of uh, kind of support for Nadir here. Um, I did point out earlier that um, uh, the Quran, at least people have a chance under 489 to 
convert to start believing in Allah and then they're not punished for that but uh, under uh, a similar part in the Holy Bible uh, second Chronicles chapter 15 verse 13 it says that whoever would not seek the Lord of Israel should be put to death whether small or great whether right. man or woman there's no wiggle room there there's no opportunity to to start believing in the God so I do think the Bible is more harsh than yeah. in this case than 489 in the Quran. Yeah. Well, well, how do you how do you address uh, 1829 was 489? I just quoted from you. Let them disbelieve. Yeah, you know I'm I'm just relaying something a little earlier. So I'm okay. trying to be a little bit supportive of what you're saying that the, the Bible is yeah. actually worse. But 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 you see that you know if you take the Quran as proper context, you read chapter 18 verse 29. There's no way you can walk away from this verse thinking that you should be basically killing people because they don't believe in what you believe in. 1829. Yep. Oh yeah. You just had that on the screen. Yeah. I, I need some time to digest it first. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Benjamin and Iota strikes again. Oh, Oida is happy camper says, bring them with chains on their necks till they embrace Islam. Sahih Bukhari 4557. Nadir, please explain that verse. Yeah, that was already explained with the hadith, which I quoted from. Remember, the guy uh, came to Muhammad, he was kill him with a, killing him with a sword. Then the sword dropped out of his hands. Muhammad picked up the sword and says, who is going to save you from me? And he says, mercy. But, and, then he, and then he said, Prophet Muhammad said, I, bear witness that I am the messenger of Allah. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he says, but I promise that I will never fight you nor encourage people to fight against you. Prophet let him go. And he said, I went, I've come back from the people, from, from, um, from the one who's the best of mankind. So my challenge has been unmet. Show me from the Sirah, show me from the Hadith, any individual, any group of people who were fought just because of their religious belief or any peaceful group of people, you'll never find it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Not a chump says, Nadir, Mormonism does not allow alcoholic consumption and creates very happy people. Is the false ideology Mormonism good for humankind? Yeah, I already stated, so, well, I don't know what Mormonism actually teach about alcohol, but when we look at the research, it, uh, the only people who really made a significant impact is the Muslims. There are people who can condemn alcohol, sure, but very few people can really uh, convince its followers not to drink alcohol on their own without any kind of force. And, make, and, and it's not just, remember, that is just one piece of evidence. We cited five significant impacts on how Islam has on humanity. I have not seen any religion that can do all of that. And if you look at in terms of whatever belief system, whether it's atheism or, or Mormonism, no religion has positively impacted uh, humanity more so than Islam. I'll just uh, state that atheism is not a religion. You got it. Or this belief system, yeah. This not a belief in. system either. Quick Lemon says, why should we trust Islam when Hadith says Muhammad had intimate encounters with little boys and Aisha had to clean him up after probably why Baka Bazi exists. 
No, there's no such thing. That's all fabrication. So uh, to basically to, you know, to, to do these kind of acts are clearly condemned in Islam. And so the people who are doing these things, you know, these are basically criminals. So again, this goes back to people are taking the acts of criminals, whether it's uh, the Hebdo massacre or molesting little boys in Afghanistan. And they're trying to say, this is what Islam teaches you to do. But all of this garbage has been refuted by the by this by the scientific research which I have presented and that's my invitation to you base your belief on facts not this uh nonsensical type of uh you know uh, stereotyping you got it this one coming in from Benjamin Iota says Muslims continue to think they own all of science that's, that's not even worth responding to yeah Gotcha. <laughs> oh, I remember when I, I used to I be said. a guest, I used to debate on the non sequitur show. And I remember I said that to some responses. I said, I'm not even going to bother responding. SJ Thomas, and thanks for your super. Go ahead, uh, Randall. Nadir, remember what I said, Nadir. Respond with humor. Okay. <laughs> this one coming in from SJ Thomason. I didn't see if you had a question that you wanted to attach to that last super chat. But thanks for staying up late with us, SJ Thomason. I know that it's, it's late there. It's 1130, I think. Ray, the producer, says, Nadir, what do you think of Quran 13.3 that says God created fruits of every kind in pairs? Fruits are not male or female. The science is all wrong. If the Quran was saying that it are male and female, then you would have a point. But the Quran, the text of the Quran does not say uh, that they are, that everything is male or female. That's your interpretation that you're twisting into the text. Benjamin Iota strikes again. Imagine thinking one version of sla- one's version of slavery is justified, disgusting, and then says, "The difference is that atheists don't claim their actions are justified objectively by God. All the discrimination in Islam is justified by God." I'll give you a chance to respond to those points, Nadir. Yeah, well, you know, they have already been refuted by by academia. There's a lot of journals. There's a lot of uh, p- publications which have actually praised Islam and its position towards slavery. I've already pointed out the dangers of a sudden release of slaves into freedom. We saw what happened in Brazil. Haiti is another good example. So to avert the humanitarian catastrophe, you know, it should be done in a very, uh, how you say, in steps. So for example, uh, the, the hadith which I quoted for you is that the one who educates his slave girl and then sets her free, he will get a double reward. So here, within the Islamic version of slavery, you get an education. You don't get that in the free world. The people during the life of Muhammad were uneducated. They didn't even know how to read and write. Yet in slavery, the Islamic version, you get to learn, you get to get an education. Now, what happens when you educate slaves? Well, they're going to demand their freedom. Part of slavery, the great uh, evil of slavery, is you keep them dumb and stupid. Islam came to abolish this practice and say, no, you should educate them. So if you call that disgusting, I think uh, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about. Islam forbade the beating of slaves, overworking them. They're going to eat the same food that you eat, the slave master, and they're going to wear the same clothes. So uh, I don't see anything disgusting about that. What I think would have been better is if a new religion coming along just had slavery abolished from the beginning, since there's making major change in society anyway, this would have been a very good opportunity to start with a clean slate with absolutely no slavery at all. That would have been the better choice. Well, I, like I think, well, that is, that, like I said, that has already not worked. 
the best choice is a, is a gradual release into freedom where you build an infrastructure ready to receive them. Remember, Muhammad said Who you should it, the educate slaves? them. What? Who builds build that it? infrastructure? The slaves? We have to build that infrastructure. What I'm saying is unless that infrastructure is there, you know, there's going to be problems. And that's exactly what happened in Brazil. So, again, you know, we have good intentions here. But to make sure that we have the right plan in action that doesn't create bigger problems, that creates cycles of violence and poverty, as it is done in America and Brazil and all over the world. So it is important to do it in a sensible way to to basically abolish slavery, and that's exactly what Islam did. You got to disagree with the delayed release. I think slavery has to be ended as soon as possible, not not in some staged way. Well, you are not addressing the point, Randolph, of what happened in Brazil. You are not addressing what happened in Haiti or America. We've seen the catastrophes that happened with that. This one coming in from Sunflower has two. One, a member question says, cite the source on Muslims being most charitable, Nadir. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, You can add that to the description later. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was that? No, maybe James can add that link to the video description. Yeah. Later. So basically the ones which, in fact, let me share my desktop here real quick. And uh, so basically it says not only that Muslims are the most charitable, but they're also the most willing to, to, uh, to basically engage, to volunteer. Here's a study. This is taken from Yahoo News. U.S. Muslims gave more to charity than other Americans in 2020. They are also more likely to volunteer. And you can find my references. You could just basically put that right into Google and uh, you should get my reference for that. You got it. And this one coming in from do appreciate your question. Also from Sunflower says Nadir in the USA, there was a sudden release of black slaves via the civil war and emancipation. Was this a mistake? So there are definitely success stories when it comes to emancipation, but there was also a lot of problems with that because now look at almost every U.S. city going from Seattle to Washington or Miami, you will see that there are poor neighborhoods. There are, quote, ghettos, and the people who are residing in them are the former descendants of slaves. And when you look at and you read, well, why is it like that? Well, this is a legacy which slavery left behind. This goes back to the importance of having an infrastructure ready to receive them, to give them jobs, to give them homes, because remember, Even if you were to look at America as a success story, what is undeniable was Brazil was a catastrophe. The favelas, which they built, which the the slaves basically built because they had nowhere to go to, um, is is an example that 64,000 people died from murders alone in these favelas. So what happens is they create these cycles of violence and poverty, which, which needs to be taken into consideration. So that's why the sudden release is not a good idea. You go to this one coming in from Sun. We got that one coming in from the nun, or I think it'd be pronounced the noon says Nadir in accordance to verse 65, four, do you support the marriage and intercourse of prepubescent girls? If so, what are the divinely inspired benefits? No, I don't. In fact, I read to you the Hadith. What should you, what are the criteria you should look for in your spouse? And it's her religiosity, the one who's best in her character and her religion. And if you apply that, there's no way you're going to get a little girl. You're going to get somebody maybe in their 20s. Because that's those are going to be people who will fit that criteria. This one coming in from Happy Camper says, Nadir, what is your highest level of formal training on these issues? 
Namely, like, what's your highest level of education? So for me, I graduated with a degree in religious studies, but I've worked in the IT field for the last, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years. This one coming in from Not Mod Bruce Wayne says, Dear, would you be cool with Muslims being killed on grounds of that they left some other religion for Islam? No, I don't think so. In fact, as I said, we as Muslims, we don't do that. Uh, and, and, and there's a great deal of leniency uh, and mercy when it comes to the apostasy. So even in an Islamic, an Islamic state, or you could say Islamic country, would there be, if someone apostates and leaves a religion, is, could there be leniency for them? Well, absolutely. No scholar would deny this. This is, so uh, I hope that answers the question. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for this question. Benjamin Iota says, Cousin marriage is, is not forbidden in, is, forbidden in Islam, yet it is not healthy for the offspring. Somehow Allah forgot to ban it, yet he figured out alcohol is bad, Nadir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically, uh, so there's, there's, it's a misrepresentation of science, and it is a misrepresentation of what Islam says. Okay, so basically, let me, uh, let me first give you the reference what science actually says about uh, about cousin marriages. Okay, this is taken from, uh, this is basically, uh, this is taken from Stanford University. This is what science has to say. While the chance may be increased, it isn't high as most people think. Children of parents who are, who are cousins or half-sibling have a, have a slightly higher, which is a one, two percent risk of being born with a disability. But like I said, from an Islamic point of view, it has already told you the criteria uh, for, for basically marrying. And if you apply that criteria, it'll be very rare, very rare that you would even marry your cousin in the first place. So, um, you know, as I said, and again, the Quran is actually silent on that. So that's taken actually from Stanford University. Gotcha. Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Notmod Bruce Wayne says, according to Didier, if you sometimes don't punish apostates with death, that makes punishing apostates with death okay. The logic is impeccable. Well, like I said, there's a great deal of, there is an injunction in Islam and in the, in the Hadith which said about killing apostates. Sure, that's there. But why are you forgetting about the leniency? Why are you ignoring everything which i'm telling you i already told you muhammad himself never killed any apostates and and in in spite of the fact that they were actually presented to him so uh i think the issue about the leniency towards that has not been refuted you got it and thank you very much for this question coming in from do appreciate it pineapple lapotamus says you are amazing as jesus said thank you for the truth I don't know who or what. I guess saying. that's for you, James. Uh, I don't know. I haven't really taken a stance on anything to. Try yeah, to claim comparing it. to Jesus, that sounds like that sounds like it's in your wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. But I uh, let's okay. see. I I, I, I don't. You're know. on an amazing show here, so. <laughs> You're kind to compliment the show. I always appreciate it, and I I oh, that reminds me, folks. I we do have another question here. I want to remind you both, Randolph and Nadir are linked in the description. Folks, if you want to hear more, if you're like, hey, this is interesting, I want to hear more, first time hearing them, or maybe the second time and you're like, yeah, but I haven't checked out their link yet. Well, it's waiting for you, and that includes at the podcast. We put our guest links at the top of the description box, both here on YouTube and at the podcast. 
So if you want to, you can click on their links if you're listening via the Modern Day Debate podcast app or link. Thanks, James. Podcast. Appreciate that. My pleasure. Snake was right, says, Islamic countries were the last to outlaw slavery, though, Nadir. Yeah, again, we go back to what the Islamic scriptures teach. We should judge Islam based on the actual scripture. What is clear is Judeo-Christian slavery, which is taught in the Bible, which was implemented all around the world. This is clearly condemned. Islam actually presented such a good version of slavery that it arguably is better than actually the free person. So look at what Islam has to teach no. about that. You know, well, you know, you promise Randall, you have not actually studied freedom. Islamic version. Freedom of slavery. is better, free, in my view. And, and just one point, to Snake was right. Yeah. Uh, Yemen is an example of one country that has not outlawed slavery yet. Well, again, we're going back to what Islam teaches, because if you start saying, okay, well, Yemen is a country that did this, I'll say, well, China is an atheist country, which has done that. So let's go back to our scriptures. Let's see what it says. And again, we're talking about, if we're talking about today, oh, yeah, sure, freedom is much better today. Well, let's talk about during, in, in the ancient world. Let's talk about when poverty was 90%, where people ate things, well, Dinner came when we caught something, you know. And so, when you look at the when you look at uh, the Islamic version of slavery, uh, and you compare it to the free person, uh, it's actually pretty good. The free person of fourteen hundred years ago. But I think Randolph, these are things that you have not really studied. So I invite you to look into that. I have. I think that if, as a matter of principle, doesn't matter what time, mm -hmm. uh, what century we're in. I don't want to be anybody's slave. I want my freedom. Call well, me selfish if you want. Yeah, I prefer well, okay. freedom. And it seems to me that people yeah. would prefer to be free and be employed rather than to be enslaved. Not just now, not just back yeah. then, not whatever. It No matter the time is irrelevant. It's always the case yeah. that I it's, think it, freedom is better it, for people. Yeah, it's the misunderstanding of the situation. Islam didn't start slavery. This was a slavery system. Was oh, already I agree that it there. didn't start slavery. It, al it was already there. And the question is, okay, now what do you do? And I have already argued and showed you the dangers of sudden release. Birth. Okay, there you guys, you guys are all free. Uh, uh That may not, it doesn't always have a happy ending. And we have seen that. I've given you several examples of that. But Islam laid down the rules and then gave the gradual freedom to slaves. Yeah, and but so, there yeah. was a, a demand for instant conversion to, uh, to Islam. No, there wasn't. No, <laughs> sure. there wasn't. We sure. must move forward. This one, last question coming in from, do appreciate it, Mango T says, Nadir, is it true that the prophet had semen stains on his clothes and asked his child wife to scrape it off? I don't see how that is in any way relevant to this discussion. I think people are, are just kind of being malicious in the text. I would invite that person to look at what Islam, the good impact which Islam has upon mankind. Look, this person sat in, listened to this debate, and he ignored everything I said. I listed five points. He ignored all of that just to bring up this erroneous point, just to trying to make fun. So I, I don't I think this person. I addressed things. Yeah, I don't think this person deserves to 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 be responded to. This one coming in from Gavin Herleman says, "Question for both in the West: Why are there no universities or colleges established by atheist organizations?" 
I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit there. Why it's isn't a, there? Question for both. In the West, why are there no universities or colleges established by atheist organizations? So the history in um, our countries is that these institutions tend to be, um, he's talking about the, uh, the older, bigger universities. They've been around for a long time. And it used to be the case that um, Christianity was very commonly practiced across the land. And so the people who are naturally going to be starting organizations are going to be, most of them, going to be Christians. Now, many of the universities have since moved away from that, and there's newer, smaller universities that have sprung up since that have no religious affiliation at all. And there continues to be other uh, universities that do have religious affiliation uh, with Islamic organizations, with uh, Christian organizations and whatnot. And so it's kind of a mixed bag now. But the major ones have that history, so the foundation there is, is not there. It's, um, it's well, a strange yeah. question. <laughs> uh, if I could answer this real quickly, it's because of what we saw tonight. Um, atheism has nothing to offer mankind, which is measurable. Uh, and I think that's the reason why you don't see anything good coming from them. <laughs> you know, and I think I've, I've and you I don't think see that anything issue bad been, coming from it either. Yeah, well, we've already discussed that of what's going on in China, so. Yeah, jump atheism into. doesn't have doctrine. So what China and Russia and other countries do is not based on any atheistic doctrine. Oh, we did. I did promise you guys I'd give you a closing statement. So if you guys would each like a two-minute closing, I can give you that. Sure. And so, yeah. Go ahead, Randolph. Oh, no, you started with an opening statement. You can start with a closing statement. Oh, you go ahead. You're, you're, you're my guest. Go ahead. You started with an opening statement. I can flip a coin. So uh, I don't know if this is agreed upon beforehand in terms of the order for these, but it is uh, true that in some contexts... matches normally matches the opening statement order is what's always happened before. And uh, so I, I let him choose that. So it should be the same. That's it how it's been true. with every other debate you've done. Uh, it is okay, true, but, but yeah. Matt Dillahunty actually did tell me one time that in more formal debates, that sometimes you actually have the... the uh, the alternate where you, you reverse it at the end. So um, I, I was surprised by that. Matt told me that though, during a live debate. And I was like, Oh, it's like, I didn't know that. But uh, so I am willing to flip a coin. Cause I don't know if this is, I, I I'll go first. I'll you, go first. No problem. Did you, did we discuss closings originally? If, if we did, this is so my fault for not even remembering. No, we didn't discuss it. But yeah. All right. I'll, I'll just, I'll just do a timer for two minutes. Okay. Just give me one second here. I'll get started here. Okay. Um, I'm just going to share my desktop over here. So first of all, I'd like to thank Randall for a very good discussion. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, and, I, and I think that, uh, you know, the five points which we have seen, which I have raised tonight, uh, that, that basically Islam, you know, started a scientific revolution, which has benefited all of humanity. You know, we saw from there, this is known as the golden age of Islam, which is basically all Western advances in civil engineering, mathematics, chemistry, medicine, and astronomy were founded upon the medieval science of Islam. We saw so much good come from that. <clears throat> we also saw the study which basically Muslims have the highest life satisfaction from the, from the article which I quoted over here, which trumps other religions. We've also seen that they're the most charitable uh, you know, and, and most willing to volunteer, as you can see from the study over there. Uh, and one of the, you know, they are, Islam is a powerful rehabilitating force in the prisons. I've shown you how people were, basically how it influenced prisoners to give up their criminal life, to live a much better life and give up materialism and other things which was driving their criminality. And Islam succeeds where others 
fail in lowering the rates of fetal alcohol syndrome and other alcohol-related problems. Look, 80%, I'm sorry, 40% of crimes is alcohol-induced. So look how Islam has such a positive impact in, in reducing crime as well. So, and, and of course, all of this, what I've presented to you is documented. And, and you know, Randolph did concede that if you look for real document documented benefits of atheism, there simply is none. So that's, this is an open and shut case. Now, he did say he's going to go back and he's going to look at chapter 18, verse 29, Can which clearly states, let them disbelieve. Time. So we'll wait for him to come back on that. That's two minutes. We'll set it for Randolph. Floor is all yours, Randolph. Okay, just quickly address the, some of the points that uh, Nadir made. Uh, and thank you for a good uh, um, debate today. So the scientific revolution, I don't grant Islam full credit for that. They get credit within Islamic circles and Islamic societies, but that's about as far as it goes um, now because different cultures throughout the world have contributed to science as well in different ways. Um, he also mentioned about uh, Islam being a powerful rehabilitating force in the prison system. Um, there are many Christians in prisons too, and there, if there is a lot of activity of uh, Muslims in prison, that raises the question, why so many Muslims in prison? Maybe that's an unfair question, um, but uh, I do wonder what has Islam actually done to promote prison reform, because there are a lot of groups out there doing that. Against alcohol, Islamic regimes prohibit alcohol, so there will be less alcohol abuse and misuse in those. That's a fallacy, the consequent there. So, uh, closing statement for me is to just remind people that atheism has no doctrine. So, criticizing secular countries um, is not always on par um, because if they're not originally intended to be atheistic, then it doesn't count for fair criticism. China doesn't qualify, Russia doesn't qualify, and other countries don't in this case. Um, the fundamental and most intrinsic thing that I can say about atheism is that it is freedom-centric, whereas Islam is about submission. You need to conform, just like any other religion, you need to conform. And I, I believe that being free in, in all the most possible, maximally possible ways is better for society. We flourish better as a society with that in the long run. And that's why I favor atheism in this case. Thank you very much. You got it. Thank you very much. We will jump into, we have just a several more questions that came in. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you guys for your patience. This is coming in from Mango T says, Nadir will asking my child wife to scrape my semen stains on my clothes, make me happy. According to Islam. I think that they are just asking like, is there a standard M Muslim response in the Muslim apologetics world to the idea of semen on your clothes? Uh, that well, how, how is this related to this type of, debate i guess is kind of what i'm wondering <laughs> okay no worries yeah. snake was right says nadir what is a dimmy uh, it's they spell it d-h-i-m-m-i -M -M -I. a dimmy uh yeah so basically this is a term where uh, for people living within the islamic empire i think is what that term refers to oh by the way um i don't know how long we have left here but uh uh, I got to get going. Uh, it's late. almost like, yes, 12 o'clock here. Last one. So sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is Mike Q922 says, Nadir, do Christians, Jews, atheists end up in hell? Are there degrees of punishments in Islam? So, yeah. So basically the question here is uh, about salvation. You know, if they've heard the message, they've seen the evidences, 
God is going to hold them accountable. And so uh, now, of course, there's many different uh, scenarios which could happen. Uh, and now there's some people who have never heard the message. For that, God will have to judge them in a different way. Gotcha. And want to say, folks, we appreciate our guests so much. They are both linked in the description. I'm going to be back in just about 15 to 20 seconds with an update on DebateCon, which has many. We're, I'm talking really big time debates, you guys. I am absolutely pumped. I want to show you one before you leave right now, folks. I've got to show you this because you're probably like, James, what do you mean? Here is one that we just confirmed today. This is between Daniel Hikachu strong Muslim debater taking on destiny on whether or not liberalism necessitates the domination of Islam. It is going to be a barn burner, a slobber knocker. You don't want to miss that debate, my friends. That is going to be at DebateCon coming up in Texas. And all of those debates will end up on the channel, some of them live and some of them being released later. So if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, as we are absolutely pumped for those debates coming up. And so Randolph and Nadir, thank you guys so much. Seriously, it was a blast tonight. Right, we really thanks. did enjoy it. Thank you, right, James. Thank you. And Nadir, it was nice to meet you. You too. All right, thanks. Thank you. I'll be back in just a moment, folks. Stick around. Amazing. My dear friends, we are absolutely excited, excited about the upcoming debate conference, DebateCon. This is seriously, it is going to be amazing, my dear friends. And I've got to tell you, let me tell you a couple of things, things that we are absolutely pumped about for this conference. One, if you have been living in a cave on Mars with your fingers in your ears, my dear friends, I got to tell you, it's pinned at the top of the chat right now. The link if you live in Texas, if you live in Dallas especially, folks, you have got to check out this conference. I am telling you, it has got monstrous debates. In particular, we had told you this one. We just confirmed it yesterday morning because you might be wondering. You're like, James, what are you talking about? If you did not see this just a moment ago, it's going to be huge. Daniel Hikachu versus Destiny, my dear friends. This is going to be the main event for the Religion Debates Night. You don't want to miss it. We're absolutely pumped for it. And so I've got to tell you, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. In addition, you might be like, well, James, I don't know. I don't actually live in Texas. And so that's actually kind of far away for me. And so, yeah, I would. But I got to tell you, hey, maybe you know someone in Dallas. And as a Christmas gift, you want to get them a ticket. For DebateCon, right now, the early bird tickets are, in my opinion, just extremely cheap to where Bob, I basically said, I was like, Bob, I was like, I don't know if we can go this cheap because we have to, the reason we're selling the tickets, folks, is to cover the cost of the venue and the travel cost for the speakers. And so I, I was like, Bob, I don't like, that's pretty cheap. 
And he was like, you know what? Let's do it. And I was like, all right, we'll do it. So the early bird is you can get tickets at 75 bucks right now. That is for the entire day, which has five debates. It is going to be huge, but let me share other info with you. Cause you might be like, I don't know about this. Like, this is kind of new to me. What's all going on. If you check on our main page on YouTube, you can see all of the debates and I'm like, I'm telling you, you guys, it's just off the hook. It is ginormous. I am absolutely pumped. Check this out as we have got five debates per day. You don't want to miss out on this conference. And in addition, we have not decided which debates yet, but of those debates, five per day, two are going to be not live streamed, except if you happen to be a Patreon supporter or a member of the channel or a person who throws into the crowdfund, we want to say thank you so much. You will have access to all of the debates being live streamed. And people, some people are like, I'm just so turned off, James. The idea that like there's a paywall that some of these debates would have, you have to throw into the crowdfund or you have to be a Patreon supporter or a channel member. I, I'm angry, James. And I had mentioned, folks, all of the funds from ticket sales as well as through the crowdfund 100% of them are being used for debate con. So in other words, you might be thinking like, oh, James, you're going to pocket that cash or put it in your checking account and, you know, save up for something. No, 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 no. This is going to into an account that is exclusively for debate con. Sideshow Nav, our head moderator, is holding me accountable. And so that way, we're, we're looking for a way that everybody can like hold me accountable because I've got nothing to hide. And I, this is a promise I'm following through on. 100% of it will either be used for this conference or if we got lucky and had a surplus, we would actually use that for debate con two because we are doing another conference in May, assuming this one goes well enough. It is going to be sweet. I've got to tell you guys, we are absolutely thrilled. And you can see at the far right of our screen. So maybe you're like, I'm not in Texas, James. I can't go in person. I got to tell you, only 24 days left for the crowdfund, throw into this crowdfund, and I will link that crowdfund in the link right now because you might be thinking like, ah, oh, geez, I don't know, where is it? How do I do the crowdfund? Uh, like, this is new to me. Don't worry. It's honestly, we've done this three times before. It's always been fantastic. We've always met our goal for the crowdfund. And again, this is used to cover costs for the actual show. So that's pinned at the top of the chat. Highly encourage you throw into that crowdfund because then you get to watch all of the debates for the entire conference for the two days live. If you just throw in nine bucks, that's it. Just nine bucks. And you get to watch all four of those debates that we plan on having be reserved for Patreon supporters or people who are channel members. We want to say thank you to those people as well that you've already supported us. And we want to give basically give thanks back by having you be able to watch these without even throwing into the crowdfund because you've already been a Patreon supporter or a member. But I want to say hi to you there in the old chat. HL Aristosles, thanks for being with us, as well as Cranky Beast 2259 thanks for kind being here. Thanks for your kind words. I saw that in the chat. I appreciate the compliment. And Randolph, good to see you there. That's right. Amy Newman's after show is linked in the description, and that's right below our guest links. We always put the guest links first, and you might be wondering, you're like, well, what about the link for the crowdfund or the tickets? We put those just below the guest links. And so you can join in on this crowdfund. And I want to tell you, we are absolutely pumped. 
We have always made our goal in the past and we are determined. I don't care if we have to do a crowdfund in January. If it's me and T-Jump and Steven Steen out there doing a car wash in January, we will do it just to make sure that this crowdfund makes it to its goal. And I've got to tell you a couple of other things, folks. You might be like, James, I don't know about like crowdfund. That's weird. Is Well, you can see on the meter, we've already had a good first start. So for the first week or so, which is all we've had, we're at about, if I remember right, let me actually check because I've, I've got, we're at about 15%, which is encouraging. That's actually a great start. And so that is a good thing for the crowdfund. And we usually see most of the funds come in in the last three weeks. And so we want to say though, Hey, throw in there now as that way you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to forget it. And that way on the day of the debate, you'll know, hey, you get to watch everything for like basically right here at the channel. And let me tell you, because you might be like, I don't know, I'm kind of like uncomfortable. I don't know like what this crowdfund stuff is like. Let me just show you some of this stuff because you might be like, eh, what is it? What's going on here? Modern Day Debate, Debate Con. My dear friends, we are absolutely pumped. See up there in the corner? Debate Con 2021, January 15th and 16th. And we are using Indiegogo as the crowdfund to make this happen. I've got to tell you, we are absolutely pumped. And a couple of reasons, because you might be like, well, how does it work though? Well, let me tell you a couple of things here. I've got to first tell you, why is it that we're doing a crowdfund or selling tickets? These actually cost funds. It takes funds to put on an event like this. And so this is where our budget comes in. We have the venue, which is in blue on the right side of the pie graph, speaker hotel rooms, which are in the bottom left orange part of the graph, speaker flights, which are in the gray left side piece of the pie, and then speaker per diem for food, that's in the yellow slice. And then that little sliver at the top is the Indiegogo fees as we factor that in there. And I got to tell you, my dear friends, it has a purpose. So if you are excited about this channel, if you believe in the vision with us, namely of this channel, Modern Day Debate, striving to provide a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on the big questions in life on a level playing field, then join us as we pursue that vision wholeheartedly we have got big stuff coming up and this conference is just one of them but i've got to show you other stuff here so let me show you because you might be like eh, like uh tell me more i want to see what this is like well my dear friends it is a piece of cake if you want to sign up you click on the link that is either in the description box or you can also click on the link that is pinned at the top of the chat for Indiegogo, and you don't even have to create an account. You can actually just sign in with Facebook. It's amazing. Really convenient, for real. It's actually, it's just a piece of cake, which makes it really nice. And you might be thinking like, ah, James, I don't know. Like, tell me more. Well, here's just a couple of examples of the, examples of the perks. For 50 bucks, you don't have to be at the event in person to ask a question. If you throw in 50 for the crowdfund, you can actually ask a question from home that we will read live during the in-person event and we'll say this person sending it from home who is a crowdfund funder, we will actually be able to read that for you. Or maybe you're like, ah, I don't know if I'll have any questions. Well, if you throw in nine bucks, you get to watch all of the debates live. Now, about half, roughly, we've, we're still deciding, we're hoping to decide by the 26th. So five days from now, we wanna decide on which debates specifically will be the ones that are 
you could say that uh, if you put it into the crowdfund, you'd get to watch them live. And like I said, that's about half of the 10 debates, so about five. So you get four to five debates by throwing in nine bucks. You get to watch them live and not have to wait. As I'm telling you, these are going to be juicy ones, as you know. But you might be thinking, well, James, have you ever done this before? Do you know what you're doing? We have, and we have met our goal both times when we have done crowdfunds before. So you remember this one about a year ago. At this time, we did this crowdfund for the debate between Mike Jones and Michael Shermer. We met our goal in that crowdfund. So we have demonstrated the ability to do this in the past thanks to you. You guys have supported it, and we're absolutely thrilled you guys, it's not just this one, because you might be like, ah, yeah, beginner's luck, James, you know. No, no, no. We have done this more than once and successfully hit our goal. For example, you remember this crowdfund, Dr. Kenny Rhodes versus Matt Dillahunty. That was our first time on Indiegogo. I've got to tell you, we've done it before, and we are going to make it this time. My dear friends, we are absolutely pumped. I want to say thank you so much for making these things possible, as you guys, this is Big stuff for Modern Day Debate. We're taking big steps here. And like I said, 100% of the funds from the crowdfund as well as from the ticket sales are going back toward DebateCon, whether it be part one or if, like I said, if we get lucky and we make more than it costs, we'll have a surplus that we'll use for DebateCon 2 in May. My dear friends, we have big stuff planned. And so I want to say thanks for hanging out with us, though, in the old chat. I want to say hello to you and address you personally because, I seriously, I do appreciate you guys making this channel as awesome as it is because, seriously, you guys do make it awesome. You guys have made these crowdfunds possible in the past where we've gotten to host people like Dr. Michael Shermer, president of Skeptic Magazine, a New York Times bestseller, kind of a celebrity in the atheist world. You guys have made these things possible. And we want to say thank you so much to the people who have already put into the crowdfund. You guys, I am absolutely thrilled. I am encouraged because we have this is a good start for the crowdfund, for real. And I've got to tell you, someone promised me the other day, they're like, hey, I actually have a big amount that I'm going to throw in. And so we are absolutely optimistic about it. And Randolph Richardson, thanks so much for coming on. I see you there in the old live chat. And then be truthful. Good to see you there in the old live chat as well as well as Corey Ander and Quick Lemon, thanks for coming by, as well as Hannah Anderson, good to see you, and Oliver Catwell, as always, good to see you as well. Hinkers Hill, Ingersoll, thanks for coming by, says Jesse Pilled, amazing. T-Bug, we're glad you were here. I hope you had a great day. Darth Revan, happy to have you. Kai, pumped you're with us. Snake was right. I see you there, Bala. Bestryful HD, thanks for coming by, as well as Math House that's an hour. We are glad you're with us. Crockpot Broccoli, glad you are with us. Says, if I lived in Texas, my IAR wouldn't be mutilated. Ooh, juicy. And HL Aristosles, glad you're here, as well as Sage, Ohio. And Kareem, thanks for coming by. Sorry, folks, we didn't get to every question. I agree. We do want to let the debaters out of here. It was midnight for Nadir. Uh, so he's in, he's actually in Florida. And so it's pretty late for him. We, we do have to let the guests out of here. So we don't always get to ask every single question. We try our best to move fast, but my dear friends, Marion Grand Bruheim, glad to see you. Seriously. We're glad you are here. Breakfast gun. Thanks for coming by says, how can one buy tickets? My dear friend, it is linked at the top of, well, it's, it's actually linked in the description box. In the description box, right underneath the debaters' links, 
it says here is the based link to grab an in-person ticket for the modern day debate con or modern day debate debate con conference in Dallas on January 15th. So it, I'm telling you, if you live in Texas, like come on out, folks. It's going to be a great time for real. We are absolutely excited for this. And then Mango T, good to see you there. Dan R, thanks for being with us. Anzu, thanks for coming by, as well as Truth Defenders and Not Mod Bruce Wayne, good to see you there. As well as Amy Newman, good to see you. And Hax, longtime friend of the channel, pumped to have you with us. Let's see. T Bug says, Siaxi. T Bug, are you by chance also the person behind? <laughs> The, are you T-Bug or are you Human Girl under yet another account? But we are pumped to have you here no matter what. And then let's see here. I believe you, T-Bug. And then let's see here. Chat's moving fast on me. Muhammad Hamden, thanks for your kind words. Says, big up the channel. Thanks so much for your support. Seriously. And then CrankyBeast2259 says, who's coming? Who's conning Who? This is like a steal, better than a deal. James, you trying to get conned with this sweet deal. Hell yeah. Basically, yeah. We're we're offering the tickets so at <laughs> such a low price right now that I'm like, this is like it's it's almost half. It's it's over half, but it's it's not too far from half of the price that a, a similar conference that we've seen do for their prices. Where I'm like, Bob, this is really cheap. But hey. I, I want to tell you, folks, we really uh, do appreciate people throwing in early for tickets. As that gives us an idea of how many we can predict that in total we're going to have. And the thing is, for us to have this conference, or I should say that the conference in May, we want to have debate con part two. For that to happen, this one needs to go relatively well. If we don't have extra funds that we can use for debate con part two in May, that's okay. It is, but if we don't at least break even, so like if we can break even or it's like, ah, it's like, well, we came out. Okay. That's where like, okay, we have a good reason to shoot for debate con too. But if this is something where people are like, nah, I don't really care. I don't really, I'm, I live in Dallas, but I still don't want to come. And it's like, eh, or if people don't put into the crowdfund, then we're like, ah, eh, maybe we won't do debate con too. So I'm telling you, if you want to see more big time debates like this, because these these really are some big time people. Like these are some big time subscriber, like uh, big time viewer, or I should not viewers either, um, big time debaters that we are actually going to host. And so if you want to see more events like this, I want to say, hey, jump in with us as we. This is kind of a risk we're taking. Like, like it is a big budget for this event. And so we are willing to take the risk because we really do believe people will back the channel. And we do appreciate your support of the channel. And we want to say thank you for that. Matthew DeMartin says, thanks, James. Thank you, Matthew. Seriously, it means more than you know. And we're excited about this. We really have full confidence this is going to, it's going to go well. We really do believe it. And we are going to ask the debaters to help promote the event. And we really are confident it's going to go well and that we are going to do Debate Con Part 2 in May. And as Sideshow Nav says in the chat, jump in early for the best prices, early bird prices, 26th through December 26th. So yeah, you got to move fast, folks. I would highly encourage you to jump on it. And we want to let you know, you guys, it is going to be absolutely based and red-pilled, as Bob would say. And Matthew Colbertson, good to see you, says, my grooms. I think he's a, he used to say grooms, my dear friend Matthew, so glad to see you. 
Matthew is a supporter of the channel, and more importantly, he is a personal friend of mine. From back in the day, I moved to Nacogdoches, Texas, several, oh, wow, it's already five years ago. Isn't it crazy, Matthew, that five years ago was when we first met? That's crazy. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. But five years ago, Matthew became one of my best friends, and I am so thankful that we have stayed in touch. And I, got, I told you guys the other day, I got to visit Matthew's wedding. I told you that on Sunday night. And not only, vi not only visit, but I had the honor of being a groomsman. And it was honestly a great, I I'm just thankful to be there on your special day, Matthew. So seriously, it means more than you know. And then I've got to tell you, yeah, it was also fun to meet. I was pumped to meet Austin. It, it, absolute blast. I really did enjoy Austin. And I actually, I loved meeting Cornelius Creations Matthew as well. And T-Bug says, I believe in healthy debate. Thanks, T-Bug. Seriously, that means more than you know. I am excited. And we've got to tell you, we have told you the vision here at Modern Day Debate is to provide a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field. We're absolutely committed to that. And I would say the, the second part of our vision is we want to see people continue to talk. There has been, not just in politics, I think even in the debate world in terms of religion, and even in these kind of scientific debates like Flat Earth, no joke, there has been this kind of siloing off, namely where groups have kind of, there's been kind of this fissure that's been created between groups to where they're oftentimes isolated and not talking to each other. We don't think that's a good thing. So we are attempting to provide a bridge where people can actually talk with one another from different worldviews, from different demographics, Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it. We are glad you are here. Seriously, we really do appreciate you no matter what walk of life you're from. As we strive to be a neutral channel, we want to make you feel welcome no matter who you are. Black, white, gay, straight, Christian, Muslim, Biden backer, Trump supporter, you name it. We are absolutely thrilled to have you here, my dear friends. But yes, Corey Ander, pumped to have you here. And I've got to tell you, my friends, we may disagree on a lot. It's true, we do. We might as well. Let's, let's not even try to minimize it. It's fine that we disagree. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing. In fact, tolerance requires that there's disagreement. I hated the fact, I've told you guys this, I've always hated how back in college when I was an undergrad, sometimes they would say, oh, James, uh, you know, don't, don't say that only one view is right. I mean, because it's true. I mean, like, for example, I mean, either Muslims are right, either Christians are right, either, either atheists are right. It's not like all three of them. And it's not even like two out of the three could simultaneously be true. It's like, no, 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 it, Like, it's just there's too many contradictions between those views. Let's not be illogical. Let's stick with the law of non-contradiction and say that, no, they can't all be true. It's got to be the case that either one of them is right or, I mean, theoretically, none of them. I mean, maybe it was it was the spaghetti, spaghetti monster, spaghetti monsters. I don't know what they're called. But the idea is this. What I'm trying to get at here is that it doesn't make sense to be like, oh, Jim, be tolerant, D don't disagree. It's like, that doesn't make sense. In order to be tolerant, it requires disagreement. It doesn't make sense, for example, if, you know, if you're talking with someone, you find out you agree on something, it doesn't make sense to say, oh, I, I, I tolerate the fact that we agree on this. It's like, what? That doesn't make sense. You have to disagree for tolerance to actually be enacted. 
And so let's not minimize the differences. We do disagree, but let's really try to engage with each other with an open mind saying, let me at least understand where you're coming from. Let me at least understand it. And even if you don't feel like budging from your position at all, at least being willing to dialogue with the other side and being willing to say, eh, like, let me hear you out on this. There's something good. There's something sincere about that. But my dear friends, I've got to tell you, we are pumped. We are excited. Thank you, Cranky Beast <laughs> 2259. This is uh, one of the, uh, I don't know if this is, um, it's definitely one of the more novel compliments uh, I've ever gotten in my life. So James, you're a cooler, sexier Mike Lindell that doesn't sell effing pillows. You mean the guy from my pillow? Thank you. Let me. I mean, do I really look like him now? I'm like, I'm insecure about this. I'm self-conscious about whether or not I look like Mike Lindell. Well, let me. Well, maybe a little bit. No, no, I don't. Okay, but I got to tell you guys. You guys, I'm seriously pumped. Is that Mike Lindell? If he heard about this conference, he would be there. That's how good DebateCon is going to be. But I've got to tell you, my dear friends, we are excited about the future. The other thing is, I've got to tell you this. I learned this from a friend named Samuel Nassan. Tolerance is a low bar. At Modern Day Debate, we not only hope that people will interact. We, I'm, I'm not joking. We hope they'll be friends. And it, it's like, hey, they may debate and it might be fierce. But I've got to tell you, I've debated some people fiercely. And afterwards said, hey, I would count them as a friend, though. We disagreed vehemently. We disagreed so strongly but nonetheless said, hey, you know what? Let's just let it be water under the bridge. We're not going to hold a grudge. We're not going to take it personal. We're just going to set it aside and be friends. That's, I think, a more ideal vision to shoot for rather than, oh, we're just going to tolerate people. Tolerating, if you think about it, is only the first step. It really should only be the first step. It's kind of weak. Imagine if, for example, my friend Samuel said this to me. Imagine if you visit, or let's put it this way. Someone visits with you at your home their guest, and then they, uh, you know, you ask them, how did it go? Did you sleep okay last night? How, how was it staying with us? We hope it was comfortable. We hope we were a good host. And they say, eh, it was tolerable. You would be insulted. Like, because tolerating something is the absolute minimum. And so my encouragement is this. We want to say, don't just shoot for tolerating one another. Don't just shoot for communicating with one another. At Modern Day Debate, like I said, we are in the, you could say, in the vision, the pursuit, the goal of creating bridges so that people can, for real, I really do believe that they can be friends. Now, Clown said, will the Hakikachu event be free to watch on YouTube? That particular one will be. So we do know this. This is the, all we know, is that the main events will for sure be live for everyone but some of the other debates like i said about half the debates we're going to say hey would you be willing to put into the crowdfund to help us make this happen and i mean realistically think about it folks these things have costs like they really do i mean we're flying in speakers like i i mean if like I know that most of you are supportive and you're like, hey, like, you know, I understand, James, I get it. For, but for the 1% that are still skeptical, uh, I have to tell you, if this is new, is airplane tickets cost money. Like they do. That, that's just the way it is. And so my thing is, I got to tell you, 
they do cost money. For us to put this event on, for us to rent this venue for the Hikikachu and Destiny debate, that actually does cost money. And so that's why I would say, like, hey, folks, like, join us in pursuing this vision as we try to take these big steps. And like I said, if there happens to be any excess funds, 100% of it is being put into DebateCon Part 2 in May as we're hoping to have that conference. So I am pumped to have you here. I want to say I love you guys. Thanks for all of your support of Modern Day Debate. Thank you just for being here. Hit that subscribe button, and that way you don't miss any of those debates. Because like I said, even if you don't watch the debates live, all of them will be released on the channel. And that's one thing, too, is I, I feel sometimes, sometimes people like 1% are like, James, I'm, I'm angry. I can't watch it live. And it's like, well, you know, you'd be able to watch it for free anyway because we'll, we'll release it on the channel eventually. And they're like, I'm still indignant. I want to watch it live. And it's like, like and they're like, I, and I don't want to put any, anything into the crowdfunding. And it's like, can you meet us halfway? Like, we are taking a risk here. And so that's why. I would say, again, 99% of you, I know you're, you're like, I get it. I, I understand why you do a crowdfund, James. Like, that makes sense. But the 1% out there where I'm like, you, we have to be practical here. And so I want to say thank you guys so much for all of your support. Thank you guys for making this channel awesome. You really do make the channel awesome. Seriously. I do appreciate you guys so much. I, I love you guys. You guys make this fun, and I honestly enjoy this so much. I told Randolph and Nadir when we started, I said, you guys, this really puts a pep in my step. I just love doing this. And so say, I want to say I love you guys. Bastry Full HD, as well as Corey Ander, Darth Revan, Sage Ohio, RG, Clowned, and Hacks, T-Bug, Darkest Nights, Dylan George, seriously, I love you guys. I, I seriously, you guys make this fun. Davos Holdos, good to see you again. Sideshow Nav, thanks so much. And as well as Amanda, thanks so much for helping us get this conference put together. And Sideshow Nav, thank you especially for doing so much. You have done a ton. And thanks for your patience with me as I've been oftentimes, whew, maybe a little, I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm a little burnt out, but we're going to make it folks. I'm going to get some rest and we're going to be good. So I love, love you guys. It's already 1023 or I got to go. I got to get to sleep earlier. So I love you. Thanks for everything. And keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. We are excited to see you next time, my dear friends. And you guys, seriously, I just love it. You guys, you guys make it fun for me. So take care and we will see you next time. Yeah. Amazing. Beta.
you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.